Hi, everybody, and welcome to Totally Tintin. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. And this is our final episode. Yes. My 26th time of saying that as well. You've been saying it's the final episode every episode nope, in the a... hopes that one day it would actually be true. And That's the final right. leap would be your leap home. No, nope, my yes. Is I've oh, just uh, agreeing with I've what I've successfully saying? agreed with you 26 times in a row for this. Uh, so it's pretty good. All right, good. good. All right. And unusual for me as well. Now, uh, you might be asking, uh, are we going to be talking about the books? Well, sort of, yes, but not like uh, our normal shows. Our normal shows, we go over one of the books uh, particularly. Uh, we give a little context. We go page by page, discuss it. But we've, we've uh, burned through all the books. They're done. <laughs> We're done. So you might say, like, well, why don't you do the movies? Well, maybe you missed last episode, but we did the movies. How about the television uh, shows and cartoons and the and the shorts done how yep. about the video games we're not going to do that we're not going to play those video <laughs> games we're not going to hunt down the sega genesis and the amiga computer uh maybe i will at some point in the future but we're we're not going to review the video games sorry uh, nope. if you want to uh go ahead and if you go online plenty of people have reviewed the video games so please go enjoy those but we're not going to be doing that because we don't have the infinite amount of time it would take sure. to actually play uh say the secret of the unicorn video game that just came out that would be uh, days of, uh, of of trying to figure out how to make Snowy jump, double jump to the ship, uh, the, to land on the booze, and uh, we we're not going to do that. So, okay. uh, what we've decided to we do We have sort of given a taster in that our theme song the whole time has been for the Amiga game uh, Tintin to the Moon, some kind of name like that. Was it Explorers on the Moon? It was called Tintin Goes to the Moon or Tintin on the Moon. I think it's Tintin on the Moon is All the right. name of the game. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, there, yeah, Tintin in Tibet has also been a video game. Maybe we are discussing them. Yes. If you uh, listen to the Tibet episode, the final, I did include the video game song at the end of the oh, episode. Oh, did you? Yeah. All right. Yeah. And uh, many of you, uh, well, not many of you, but some of you have complained about the uh, theme song, saying it's your least favorite part of the show. Other people have said, really enjoy that opening. Yeah. Uh, all I can say is uh, you can always fast forward if you want. You can always sure. like take your finger and just go whoop, and then you're uh, past it, and you're right into our talking. It's a mere 20 seconds, if that. <laughs> Of noise. Now, maybe you know who we are, maybe you don't, but for the very final time, here are our biographies. Uh, I am a comic book writer. I write for The Simpsons and Futurama Comics. I've also been a comic fan most of my life. Never read Tintin before this series. Uh, people have recommended him to me, and I've not, I've not read the books, but I have now, so I am... Duh! There, now people can no longer say anything to me. That was my only flaw. <laughs> That's right. That was it. That was uh, And uh, my friend David Dedrick, what is your secret origin story? Uh, my secret origin story is I have been a longtime fan of Hergé and Tintin. I love Hergé's artwork, and I also love the Tintin, Tintin stories. So, yes, that is my claim to fame. And you were reading one of the books uh, when your parents were shot in an alley, and then you went, I will do a podcast about That's Tintin right. and avenge their deaths. I will get incredibly wealthy and do a podcast. And one of those things came true. That's right. Yeah. If you were incredibly wealthy, we'd probably have more Tintin-related props around here and pages of art. Mm, but yeah. we're not. We're just a couple of poor Canadians uh, <laughs> poor hoping, hoping that uh, sirened uh, vehicles will not make things too loud in the background. And uh, we're doing our final show for you. Now, we asked you, uh, the listener, to send in some questions of things that maybe we missed over the course of our series, uh, something specifically you wanted us to talk about, and yep. you did it! So thank you so much. Otherwise, this would be an incredibly short and embarrassing uh, episode. <laughs> well, we wouldn't even do it. Wouldn't we? No. 
Oh, I don't know. I think uh, we enjoy a bit of shame. We'd probably come on here <laughs> probably, and just right. and just complain for a little no, you're while. Right. So um, I agree. As we go through, we'll probably be thanking uh, specific listeners uh, who, because many many of you who give us questions also have participated on our message boards, and 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 it, that's been one of the best parts to me about doing the show is the information, the back and forth we've had from you, learning things from you. Uh, that's been fantastic. So if you have at any point posted on our message boards, let me throw you a big thank you for that. Dave yes. does not thank you for that. <laughs> no, it's time will come. I have some thank yous. To oh, you're going to thank But him. later on. Right, because yeah. we're Canadian. We like saying sorry. We like saying thank you. Yes. All right, so do you want to start with question? Uh, the question at the top of the page? Yeah, I, they're not in any particular order. I just, as I found them, I, I put them on the paper. Would you say these are willy-nilly? I would describe them as both willy and nilly. <laughs> okay, yeah. a real dog's breakfast. It's a real, it's a real willy Nelson. A little Snowy's brunch. Mm-hmm. It's Willie and Nelson. All right. Well, the first question yep. I've got here is from Steve Scott. Yep. And uh, the question is, uh, one thing I'd love to hear you talk about, uh, I'd love to hear you talk about in the next episode, would be the influence of Hergé on comics, particularly the whole uh, Line Claire movement. Yep. Uh, Yves uh, Chalon, Chris Ware, Charles Burns, etc. Okay. Do you have something to say about this, well, David? Well, just uh, as a further, I'll call it up and also asked a similar question. So I'll just read that one out so that we have them both together. Very so they're not doubling up the answer later. Uh, Colin says, I would ask if you have followed Hergé's legacy and continuing influence on cartoonists in Europe, the clear line artists like Chalon, Cleric, Svart, Svart, how do you say his name? Larson. It seems like many cartoonists were reacting for or against the towering presence of Tintin as an icon with tributes and parodies. How is Hergé relevant today? And how is he relevant outside of Europe? Oh, you made the question much bigger. Yes, you, you took did. the concentrated orange juice. You added three cans of water. <laughs> now we've got a big uh, thing to drink. Well, first of all, why don't you clarify what the uh, Line Claire movement? Yeah, Lean Claire. Lean Claire, as Claire you might movement, say yeah. if you say it correctly. Yeah, that was actually it. Was not named by Hergé or by anyone in Hergé's maybe in Hergé's lifetime. It was named. It was actually a, co- a term coined by. I'm going to say his name very badly. Joost Svart, Svart, the cartoonist. Do you know him? No, I do not. I'm, you might. He did a lot of work in Raw. He drew in a very, very much like Hergé style. Okay. But he would do like... Uh, what were his strips in Raw? Would you remember what uh, they were called? They, I don't know if they had a name. They, they must have had a name, but I don't remember what they were called. His, I think he did his, do Cowboy Hank, did he? Yes, he did. That's right. No, no. Cowboy Hank was that... Uh, yeah, I think it was Cowboy Hank with an H E N K. H E N K. Yeah, that's right. That's who it was. That's okay. right. You know, and his like his character had that weird kind of like a it was like blackface. In what he, way? He had like a Tintin haircut, but it was black. Like, and his lower part of his face was white, and the top of his head was black. Oh, okay. I seem to remember Cowboy Hank actually looking a little bit like a muscular Tintin, but okay, maybe, maybe I... that maybe I'm thinking of different characters. Then okay. he has a few different characters, and uh, actually it was. Sword. Uh, Sword. I'm just going to say his name is Swart. No, go right ahead. Like, I'll say it like I used to say it when I was a teenager and I was reading his name in Raw. <laughs> Juiced Swart. Now, uh, he actually designed the, the Hergé Museum. So oh. he, uh, yeah, he's a kind of a big proponent and a part of the whole Hergé legacy. And I would say the most obvious inheritor of that Lean Declare idea, which it's not just um, Hergé's style of, um, you know, very simple. Yeah, that looks like him. Uh, very simple, um, you know, very clear. When I say simple, I don't mean that he's drawing in a, in a primitive style, but he's drawing in, a, in an intentionally uh, simple style. Yeah, because just the necessary lines. It was yeah. the realities of his of the time when he first started to draw was that the publishing was terrible, like print, the printing and stuff was terrible. So the simpler you could make it, the more clear it would be on the page. And so that kind of became, it didn't start as, but it sort of over time developed. And it wasn't just him, but when... Um, 
when it, it, uh, Jacobs joined him and started drawing with him, Jacobs brought up a big part of that aesthetic as well to what Hergé was doing and, and influenced how he did backgrounds and stuff like that. Like if you look at um, Tintin in the Congo, for instance, and you look at the black and white version of the fall scene, and even in the color version, there's tons of lines. Like it's all kinds of little scribble lines mm-hmm. indicating this f- flow of the water. You know, he wouldn't have drawn it that way later. Like, but if he'd drawn like a fall, a falls in the 50s or 60s, it would look totally different than what he was doing in the 30s. Okay. So over time, he developed that idea. So now the I, the Linus Claire school, if you can, if there is a school, is often kind of put up against what's called the Marcinelle School, which was a school of art that sort of grew up around Spirou. Uh, the whole, um, so it kind of started with this guy named uh, Joseph Gillin, or Gigé, who drew for for Spirou. And he had a kind of uh, a studio where a lot of people like Franquin and Morris, who did Lucky Luke, mm-hmm. and um, Will, who did uh, Tiff and Tendu, these cartoonists kind of went to that school. And now, now if you think of Tintin, so Lee Claire, not only is this the simpleness, but also the very basic color scheme of it, the use of blo- blocks for balloons rather than the brown balloons. Okay. Marcinelle School, more vibrant drawings, more action lines. A good example of someone who would be a Marcinelle artist would be Uderzo from uh, Asterix. Okay. Um, and then, uh, then the round balloons for, you know, so a different sort of aesthetic idea than what Hergé was, was working in. And I don't think that either is right or wrong. And I think that when you look at people like Chalant and Cleric, for instance, they kind of fall in between the two. Like they don't have like a, a, a solid thin line or a, or a, you know, that kind of style of Verge. They have a, they use a brush. It's very broadly done. Uh, in fact, they even called their style a different name, which was the Adam style. So I don't think, so them, you can maybe say that they were inheritors of, of what Hergé was doing, but I think that they're kind of falling in between like the Marcinelle and Hergé, if they, if they were influenced by Hergé. Um, the people I think that are most like uh, Hergé or most inspired, um, like modern artists, there's Ted Benoit, this guy named Floche. I'm going to say his name pronounces Floche. It's F-L-O-C apostrophe H. Okay. Uh, Juiced Swart. <laughs> Hank Coopers, who did this uh, comic called Franca, uh, which is a really interesting uh, kind of a good girl art combined with, uh, I'm not too sure what they are. These stories are in other languages that I don't, mm-hmm. like it's in the Dutch, so I don't know what's happening. Uh, a British guy named Garen Ewing. Uh, and then one of our listeners, uh, Christoph Spy, turned me on to this artist named Dirk Stellert, who did a, co- a comic called Nino, and it's very Hergé inspired as well. And so those people are the inheritors. Now, the problem with that idea is that you are um, kind of cast yourself in, in a- amber in a way, you know, like you've you aren't developing a style past what someone else has already developed. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so someone like um, Claire can, and uh, the other guy. <laughs> uh, you know who I mean, right? Everybody? Everybody knows what I mean? Uh, they, they, um, their style kind of takes, you know, the Marcinelle and what Ergie was doing and kind of blends it together and creates something different, you know. Whereas the other guys are working in a, in a very, uh, extreme it owes a lot to Hergé you know and so and their and their style is more someone like Duswart his style is more of a you know it's using that form to make commentary you know it's not really using it for adventure stories and stuff like that right, right? so the stories are very complicated kind of postmodern deconstructions of of comic books with a lot of behind the scenes you know kind of tomfoolery and stuff like that that's kind of taking apart the medium rather than 
rather than telling you like straight ahead stories. Now the North American examples uh, that were used uh, in, the, in the first question by by Steve, uh, Chris Ware and Charles Burns. Do you see that? No, I don't. You I don't, don't see. I don't think Charles Burns. Uh, no, it was too much shading. Like he, his whole art mm. style is tons of that very careful brushwork where he doesn't use a pen at all. He's all brush. Unless he's using a pen and drawing in the brush lines, which is possible, because this is just smooth style. Right. I mean, where I see Charles Burns is I see that almost in the uh, in the bushes, in the forest scenes, in the you know, it, it doesn't quite have Hergé's water, but it, there's a lot of uh, when I when I picture Tintin, I, I picture uh, being on the water and yeah. I picture walking through the woods. There's sure. a lot of woods. I and, only and... can think of it as an art style, not as not as content, though. Mm -hmm. You know, like Celine Claire isn't about content. You can draw lots of different versions of water and mountains and stuff like that. Right. But what Charles Burns does, you know, it's heavily chiaroscuro in a way that you know are heavily inked you know it's a very strong ink okay. line it's closer to what the ec cartoonists were doing than to what now let's go to chris ware do you see that that's not heavily inked that's a very simple very simple line. style but once again I, I don't see it being really uh i can see why someone would say that again because it's got the same kind of eyes yeah. facially you know that uh, that very limited uh, it's more geometric yeah, it's in very, pattern it's more of a pattern style than what do you think so? Like, like Quimby the Mouse is almost all like right. looks Quimby, like it's drawn with well, templates. Quimby and... the Mouse looks like you know it's a 1930s mm -hmm. you know cartoon. Yeah, uh, but something like the uh, Jimmy Corrigan. Jimmy Corrigan, I can yeah. see facially. You know, he he you know borrows from I guess facially from Tintin and okay. Captain yeah. Attic. I can see them all being in the same world. Okay, you know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, it's possible. Hergé. Uh, you know, I think Little looked, Orphan Annie style as well. You know, it's that it's the mm -hmm. round, it's the round. That's eye. what I see yeah. more of. But uh, it's an interesting question because the the real the truth of Hergé is how limited his his impact has been outside of Europe in terms of art. Like, there's not too many artists I think working in comics in North America who would look to, to Hergé as a as a you know as an example of you know or even know who he was more or less yeah you know i know that chris ware has done a book that's sort of a parody of tintin oh has he what is that i can't remember the name of it it's just a, a recent one that he did it's kind of it's done in a similar album style to All the right. and we could look it up i'm sorry i don't know well, the listen, name of we don't even have to look it up look go to our website sneakydragon.com if you know what it is please post it sure. if uh, dave remembers what it is he'll post it yeah so you know by the way by the way uh this uh, question and answer session is not the be all end all for yeah. any of this. Any of these questions can continue on our on our webpage and will continue on our webpage. Yeah, and I don't, but I don't think it's a in a real Hergé style, although it uses Tintin as sort of a launch point for a typical, typically gross uh, look at some sort of surreal world. Uh, Charles Burns, like yeah. The only the only thing that again, when I think uh, Chris Ware, I think uh, both him and uh, Hergé have the two best displays in comic stores for the work. The Hergé display is a rocket ship with all of the Tintin books around yes. it, which is immediately catches your eye yeah. and it's beautiful. Yeah. And the Chris Ware display is a beautifully designed uh, display with all the books of various sizes. Yeah. And both of them uh, grab uh, a viewer's attention in a way that I don't think any other uh, comics on display do. Yeah. They're all just on the shelf going eh. Take me or leave me. My hope, my hope is <laughs> he's very uh, where is yes, very aware of uh, pre presentation. Right. What well, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, uh, open certain doors when you, it feels like you've opened them a crack. When you're saying how uh, I don't, you don't think that Hergé has influenced North American cartoonists. Sure. Uh, I think that might be because really the only place to find them was if you were already on board. You know, yeah. you would go to a, maybe you'd stumble across them at a library or something. Yeah. But I think, and they would not be. 
direct market comic stores were not really a thing. Um, so where would you buy them? Where would you find them? Why yeah. would you buy them? But I think nowadays, since they're now becoming available in the same uh, online way that the North American comics are, sure. hopefully uh, more kids will be exposed to them and grow up with Hergé. And uh, that would that that would be my hope. I think the mm-hmm. distribution method has become at least a little bit better in modern times uh, than it than it was when I was a kid. Yep. I think the headline for that is Tintin exposes himself to kids. So, well, this is our final episode. <laughs> so, burn those bridges. The when I was thinking about it, there's a there's a uh, artist whose name is uh, Theo van de Bougart. He's a Dutch artist, and I was looking at his style, and his is very Lena Claire, but also it's Lena Claire to that point of detail where it's starting to edge into Jeff Darrow. You know, like if you looked at Jeff Darrow, you could say you can see. A certain sort of Hergé influence there. He likes a, a very irregular line. Mm-hmm. He likes very simple, you know. But then he kind of takes it to the opposite extreme, though. He'll take those very simple figures and then add four million wrinkles to their clothes. Right. And draw everything in absolute detail. Bottles, cans, pieces of garbage on the ground. Everything is drawn overly detailed. And I find that kind of in the Lean Claire style, too, is that it it starts off with this kind of ideal idea of Hergé's, where he's going back at his art, in his art and erasing things with whiteout or the equivalent white gouache to get rid of lines that he thinks are superfluous. Then you take that Lee Nicolas style and it starts to, to morph itself into this exaggerated, uh, you know, sort of... So you have to kind of draw maybe a, a line, an artificial line between where Lee Nicolas is and where it becomes this kind of... Uh, stark realism, you know, sort of Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Darrow style, where it's just this, you know, crazily wrinkles and cars with every pane of glass or every shard of glass drawn. And, you know, and that to me is not Hergé as well. I mean, you might have a very clear line, right? but Hergé was not about busyness. He wasn't about show. He was about very, you know, simply telling the story so that when you looked at the page, everything was clear that, that what was happening. And you'd have to search and look past, you know, absolutely accurately drawn Coca-Cola cans to get to the story. So, yeah. Okay. If so, that's an answer, I was probably the most con- most roundabout confusing answer sure, I've ever sure. given. And we've set the tone for the length of the answers we're going to be saying. So, <laughs> everyone, make yourself comfortable. Uh, second question is by Les uh, McLean. And I say we should have more McLean. Ah, this is terrible. Uh, <laughs> the mention of Hergé owning uh, Liechtenstein uh, reminded me of Tintin in the New World and its Liechtenstein cover. When I read it, uh, uh, which I read when it came out, but didn't enjoy it all, perhaps because I was 16 years old. Have you guys read it? If so, uh, what were your thoughts? I've uh, only read the plot. Uh, okay. I have, I have not read it. All right. And do you have no intention of reading it? No. I and don't. why is that? I'm not interested in fanfic. So that's where it stops. Okay. Do you think it's wrong to do a book like that? Is that uh, uh, or does it? I fall, think it's wrong-headed. Or does it fall in the same category as something like uh, Air Pirates, which was uh, they took? But a, it's not Air t- Pirates. It's it's a it's a novel. Right. It's not right. Like, Air it, Pirates is Air Pirates is interesting because it's just using you know popular characters in this similar style and telling a different story. But isn't this the same thing, but just in a novel form? It's I guess, but it's not. It's not Hergé, so no, it's, not, it's not the drawing. And Air, Air Pirates is not Disney. But, but it's drawn in a similar way. So, you know, what I enjoy about Hergé is the art. Mm-hmm. You know, so I can read lots of different adventure stories. If I oh, run I out of you. Tintin, I can read Steve Canyon. Or These I are can two read, separate issues, though. Yeah. You, yeah, obviously, you like the, the artwork. You wouldn't probably... 
maybe you would read if uh, Hergé wrote a novel about Tintin. You probably would read that novel. I would be interested. But in you wouldn't be as interested because you you enjoy the, you yeah. enjoy the art. So yeah. one of the reasons you're saying right now that you would not read the book anyway is the prime reason that you like Tintin is the art. Mm-hmm. That's gone. Yeah. Also, you like Hergé. Hergé's gone. Yeah. There's no reason for you to read this book. Yeah. All right. Well, from from what I've read just of the plot, uh, it's it's later in Tintin's life. He's become cynical. Of course. Uh, he, uh, you know, he uh, goes and uh, he has sex. Uh, he becomes suicidal. Uh, he kills great. himself at the end. <clears throat> Sounds great. And it's, uh, yeah, it seems like the kind of book that you people write. When they're in their 20s. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's very well done. Maybe it's got some uh, important things to say about society. Uh, if it does and you've read it, let us know. Neither of us have. So all we can judge is I don't think uh, Tintin is cynical. So I think that's a that's a mistake. It's yeah. taking it's taking you know the care you know, and again like I don't mind in Air Pirates where like Mickey Mouse is doing stuff that Mickey Mouse would never do. You know it's they're just having, a silly over the yeah, top. Yeah, but they're having fun with it. Right. But in a comic book form, and maybe which is they're having fun with this too. But I don't know. It just seems yeah to me. But that's personal choice yeah. and personal belief and blah blah blah. And if you want to write fanfic, knock yourself out. I have no problem with people taking Airshay's art and doing interesting things with. It. There's like. There's a fellow, and I, I wish I knew his name, who does, uh, and it might be Garen Ewing, actually, who does these kind of Cthulhu-themed uh, Tintin mm. covers. There's another fellow, I, I just stumbled on this blog, and now I couldn't find, I could probably find it if I sat down, but I didn't have time, uh, who did uh, family-themed like drawings based on family vacations in a Hergé style. <laughs> so it looked like a graphic album, you know, but it was their, his family themed thing but it would be turned into like an adventure cover nice. so if they went on a mountain journey then it would have like a kind of mountain scenes of kind of air esque and that's fine that is that's perfectly fine i would i don't mind looking at that that's interesting but a novel telling uh you know a novel i don't know it just doesn't seem i don't see the point in it the same way i don't see the point of of uh pride and was it called no sense and pride and prejudice and zombies yeah i don't see the point of that okay because well, the same, i don't see the point of mr murder at um pemberley the the pd james book and pd james is a perfectly fine mystery writer but line one of a book uh, based in jane austen's world you're not you know you're not reading jane austen because mm-hmm. you can read the first line and you're like oh this clumsy sentence has no Jane all Austen can, in All it. I can see about that is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies probably did get some people reading Pride and Prejudice proper that would not have read it because they were fans of zombies and it was just an interesting, okay. weird idea. But that all burned out, right? I mean, yeah. it all burned out fast. But I'm you not, had your Abe Lincoln vampire hunter. If, Everyone threw, you know, whatever it is. You yeah. know, uh, it was the best of times. It was the Frankenstein of times. <clears throat> whatever. You throw it in. You do it. Blah, blah, blah. Some people I know did the comic version. They made some money off it. In my, in my defense, fine. let's ask what were our thoughts, not where other people's thoughts of these things. So. Very good. Now, um, you mentioned, again, a door is slightly open, so I'm going to go through it just <laughs> real quick. Where you're talking about interpretations of the ten- of the Hergé style, uh, you did a little thing on our web, uh, just a little sentence, on our webpage last, uh, last week, uh, where you mentioned the opening to the Tintin movie. Yeah. You liked it a lot. I and did like the credits. I, sequence, I yeah. did as well. Yeah. Uh, to the point where it made me dislike the movie a little bit more. Because when I saw, because the open, and again, I think this ties into style. So let's yeah. just continue this way. Yeah. The um, style of that is way better than the style of the film. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like you see, you see mm-hmm. what a Tintin movie would look like 
directed by, well, maybe not directed by Spielberg, but done in the style of Hergé. And you see the movement and you see the action, you see the beautiful backgrounds and all this, yeah. and it's a fun and it's exciting. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to the film and it's all done hyper-realistically. Yeah. And you're like, why? You just showed <laughs> what would be better. Exactly. So why don't you do that? Yeah. You know? I agree it, with you. It felt yeah. like when I, I wish was, we'd said that. When I was right. a, when I was a kid and I used to watch the Pink Panther movies mm-hmm. and they'd have the opening and it would be all the cartoon, I'm like, more of this. Just do that. That's better than no Peter Sellers. Here we go. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so do you want to read the next question? Or do you want Sure, to I just wanna before we before we leave Les, I just Please. want to mention that Les has a webcomic called Johnny Crossbones. Johnny Crossbones. Which is done in a kind of a sixties adventure comic style. Uh, it's quite it's quite fun. So nice. Johnny, check it out. Johnny Crossbones. That's with. I hope I an said H. the name right. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Les, if I missed it. Up. And if and if you did say it wrong, uh, please let's go to our website and put up a link. Yeah, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask all the next questions because these are questions for Ian. These come from okay. Lane. Hi, Lane. And Lane didn't give us his last name, so I. I don't know if it's Lane V who occasionally writes to us on Facebook or likes things on Facebook, but uh, well, I say I don't know if that's his Dave, real name. Just pick a lane. Oh, <laughs> oh, we're not good. Okay, move on. <laughs> Number one, as someone who wasn't, this is for you, Ian. Yep, I see. That's questions for Ian. As someone who wasn't overly familiar with Tintin, mm-hmm. overall, did the book meet your expectations? And in any particular ways, did anything leave you cold? Um. Did they meet my expectations? It's actually a little tough because both you and another friend of mine went, I envy you so much. You're in for a huge treat. And I think yeah, it was they, too much buildup. Uh, it was a bit of too much buildup. And yeah. then it was tough because, you know, the first, okay, here's what it, it is. It's like, oh, you got to try this. It's going to be the best. Here we go. Yeah. And you get a meal. And the first one is like, okay, forget about the salad. The salad's nothing great. <laughs> okay, now here we go. Now here comes the soup. Okay, soup's not so hot. But uh, wait for it. Here it comes. And then and then it does ease yeah. you into to the point where you know in the middle it's fantastic you mm. know it's really really great yeah and they're like oh man these are really fantastic and then uh then you say okay now lower your expectations again because it's gonna get rough <laughs> yeah you know near near the end so uh i would say yeah the middle segment when all it, it takes a long time before what i think you consider tintin begins yeah before calculus shows up before they're in marlin spike before oh no doing- i i like those early ones too but right and actually, think... one of them is my, is, is my, one of my favorites. Okay. Uh, but yeah, before when you picture Tintin mm-hmm. and you've got an image, you yeah. picture this cast of characters. Yeah. And it takes a while before that happens. In fact, it's like almost to the halfway mark before that scenario uh, shows up. In some ways, there's books I like because there is no Captain Haddock. Mm-hmm. And I like those stories because uh, Captain Haddock changed the dynamic of Snowy and Tintin. So that's, that's, all, that's interesting as well to me. So, you know... Uh, but you know, yeah. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how I read them. So okay. I wouldn't want to. So, I don't want to talk too much about right. it. All right. So uh, yeah. that's your the feeling. middle. The middle. The middle part was absolutely fantastic. I think there was always some gold in mm-hmm. each of them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the part that left me cold, and this is boy, it's a tough one because I think the thing that that left me cold when I was a kid is the same thing that left me cold now, which is it's almost this locked off camera of uh, of like a straight shot on at the mm-hmm. characters, yeah. you know. And I think that uh, that it almost looks like you're watching watching a movie with a director who doesn't want to follow the characters, right? Doesn't want to turn yeah. the camera. It's always just just same angle over and over again. And yet in the later okay. books where you've got close-ups, because of the design of the characters, their yeah. faces look creepy and weird. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, that's wrong too. So I don't know yeah. what's what. Yeah. You know, again, I grew up with uh, superhero comics, which are based on the work of Kirby. And Kirby was just so dynamic and action-packed, you know, and that – 
Yeah, or something uh, of the era, something like a Will Eisner, mm. you know, would would change the angles and fool around a little bit more with how a story is told. And I yeah. don't think Hergé fooled around with how a story was told as much as trying to tell an effective story in yeah. his own style. Yeah. So I think that part uh, might have left me a little colder than, uh, you know. But when they did it right, they did it great. Okay. Second question then? Okay. As a cartoonist, did you pick up anything from Hergé's storytelling that you think may be useful in your own work? Did anything tweak the parody satire part of your brain? It probably wouldn't be too hard to apply the template of an orange-haired knife, drunken blusterer, and zany scientist having madcap adventures to the Futurama universe, for example. Yeah, that's that's a pretty obvious uh, spoof that has run through my head. It would be an okay. easy one to do. Yeah. Uh, Ty Templeton, who was a guest on our Sneaky Dragon show and who I think we're both fans of, I'm going to speak out of turn and say... We both enjoy Ty's work. Yep. Did a Tintin parody in um, in, the, in the Simpsons comic a while back, yeah. which I shake my fist and go, "Ah, oh, you beat me to it." <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the archetypes do make it easy to do a parody. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. you know. Uh, but as for uh, something that uh, I would uh, think is useful in my own work, yes, I would say uh, doing my own work. I like the idea that uh, of of what I've seen in this book of uh, a cast of characters that you start doing normal things like i like how they stop and have breakfast mm-hmm. and just talk and yeah. read a paper yeah or i like how tintin is always starting like we're going for a walk in the park with snowy yeah and then they see something and they're like that's where we're building whereas mm-hmm. a north american comic starts with you see the action yeah but in but but uh and you pull back and you pull back and you do a reveal yeah and you know maybe the, you want to start you know almost james bond style with like a big action-packed sequence yeah. whereas tintin will take his time mm-hmm. and uh he will he'll read the paper and have a coffee and uh, pet snowy and sure. snowy will find a can which is amazing because it's one page as well mm-hmm. so it's this weird one page of of almost nothing happening on some cases and yet i don't know see i wonder if the case with that is if you read the in in north america if you read the soap opera strips at the at the time yeah it would still be more action-packed than your standard mm-hmm. soap opera strip where mary worth is giving some advice yeah, when she was back true. when she was apple mary yeah you yeah. know and everyone's like looking at each other and just walking around you know even the most exciting terry and the pirates type thing uh, there wasn't that much action in it really the action would kick in later but there's a lot of standing around and just i'm worried about him me too mm. cut to him tied up ticking yeah. bomb yeah hmm we really should get to him we should Ticking bomb, go for a week, finally get to yeah. bomb. And I feel like Hergé, and, and thinking about that, Hergé actually, to me, improved or or did a lot better the daily uh, strip and that he didn't, he found a way around repeating in, within the strip yesterday's news. Yes. Which would have been, ter- and, you know, which is a big uh, oh, it's a problem inter- with it's reading. It's interminable when you read. Yeah, Dick Tracy or whatever. Oh, and, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Or in modern days, one of the, you know, bless him. But Stanley writes the one of the worst uh, comic strips, which is the Spider-Man comic strip, okay. which is all just getting to the next block, and you take a week and just keep talking about how you're. Wa- oh, jeez, it's so <laughs> get the mask on, get your jump in the sky forever, and then finally he punches someone like three weeks later. Just for, forget it. Okay. So I would, I would say it's uh, I do more comics than I do uh, car- uh, cartooning in a comic strip format. Uh, I think if I did a web comic strip, yeah. then I would be even more influenced by the work uh, here. Yeah, and I hope web yeah. cartoonists because now with web cartoonists you can make your strip as big as you want. Yeah, I hope more of them would be influenced by this. Yeah, that's, yeah. 
Okay, so... Questions for Dave. Well, I should read these then. That's right. All right. Uh, you've mentioned on the podcast and in the comments on our page, sneakydragon.com, uh, <laughs> how you never read the books chronologically before and, uh, and what that experience was like. I don't know if you have any more thoughts about that or if you could elaborate on it more. Can you? Well, I don't know what I said before, so I'll just I'll repeat myself perhaps sure. just to elaborate on it. But uh, it, yes, it was very interesting because I've I've never read them chronologically. It was interesting because in one way it changed my idea of how 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 good they were. Mm-hmm. In the sense, you know, I've always thought of them as as uh, some of them as being not that great, like uh, Tintin in America. I've always thought of as being so so, and I've always I liked more than I should have. Flight 714 and Tenton and the Picaros. Reading them chronologically, I actually like those books less than I used to. Mm-hmm. And I like Tenton in America more than I used to. Mm. And that's strictly because uh, reading them in, in order, I could see the development more and I, and I appreciated more what he was doing in, in the early stories. So things that I've always had trouble with the art in the early ones too, because I don't know if I think he must have been drawing at a at a slightly at a different size because on the page the the lines are very narrow, which I don't like that very narrow line at all. I like a bit of a thicker line in, okay. in art, so I I like it better. So when it switches weirdly switches in the middle in Cigars of the Pharaoh to the older style because it was redone in in, right. in the late fifties early sixties, then I I like it. I like that one a lot, and so I'm kind of like, oh, this is really good. And then it goes back for for the Broken Ear to the or the blue lotus to that older style and you're just like oh this weird tiny line what is this and then it, once again black island jumps ahead again you know so it reading them in order i could appreciate those changes i could appreciate the history behind them i'm you know i'm a comic book fan but i'm not a i'm not a huge fan of i'm not a fan like a fanboy kind of a fan right. i don't really care about owning merchandise figures or uh you know, or even knowing like a huge amount about the the authors and stuff like that. I just want to read the stories and enjoy those. They're kind of my, they just make me excited. You know, when I read a com- good comic book story, I get very, really excited about it and really interested in it. I want to see more art. And, you know, and I do that a lot. Like now that we have Google, when I was a kid, we didn't have Google. But now you can hear about, say, Shalond or Cleric or whoever. And you can look online. You can go, what is this Franca? You know, this looks really interesting. And then find a bunch of images. Right. You can't understand what they are, but you can just look at them and they're they're interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I just, reading them chronologically. Yeah. And then the ones, the later ones, because you have this real purple patch in the center of it, stretching t- to me from, uh, basically from the Blue Lotus all the way to... The Castifuera Emeralds. Now, what do you call the purple patch? This like is best period. Okay. Like I think that that's just a remarkable period. That's a remarkable run of art there. Then you get to the final two, and they really drop. When I read them as a kid, I might have read Flight Seven One Four, and then I read The Land of Black Gold, or you know what I mean. So I didn't, I wasn't going like from the Flight Seven One Four, which is kind of weak, to the Picaros, which is also kind of weak, and just going like, whoa, what a weak tea. I was just kind of going, well, that book. You know, it just kind of flows into the general. And then also, I didn't read them in a... In a like we read these in two months, right? About that, yeah. When I read them as a kid, I started reading them in grade eight. And I probably read my last Tintin book in my 20s. Because then I, I got a few of them as a as a teenager for Christmas. Then I stopped getting Christmas presents from relatives. So then the books dried up. I'd say, by and the way, four and a half months, probably. Four and a half months? Okay. I'd say, yeah. Still, it's an incredibly quick time to read a bunch of books, right? Whereas when I first read them, I read them over, you know, and then I started buying them myself. And as I bought them, as I found them, 
Yeah, and as I had thing. money, yeah. I would buy them. That's the different experience them. between now yeah. and then is uh, is is the hunt. Yeah. Where we didn't we we don't have the hunt anymore. We yeah. now have the I'd like the here it is. <laughs> yeah. Instantly. Sure. Like you'd find them in a in a bookstore and they would have maybe the Black Island or not have the Black Island have a different one. Mm-hmm. And you'd be missing some and so, you know, you'd collect a few of them. Then you go back and you'd be like, okay, I'm looking for, let's say I'm looking for the shooting star now. Where is it? I don't can't find the shooting star. It's not available. So I'll buy Explorers on the Moon instead. Oh, this is the second part of the, I yeah. uh, can't read this one yet. I'll have to wait till I get this other book till I can find it. You know, so it went like that for a long time. So, you know, that also changes your experience of reading them as well. You know, so uh, this has been, yeah, it's, I've really enjoyed reading it like this actually. And also learning more about Hergé. While I was doing it, actually, it's given me more appreciation of the stories and the amount of work and the the str- the struggles of doing it, which and, and yet you just, which he made unapparent on the page. Uh, and yet, you just said before this that you're not the kind of fanboy that likes to know about what the yeah uh, no, but I have appreciated it. Has it has helped me? This appreciate would be the exception this. that proves the I don't know if yeah, I don't know if it's exception, but. All right. I think if, if I took the time, I'd be interested in anyone's All right. Life. So question number two. What are some of the resources you used for research? What Tintin uh, slash Herge related books uh, would you recommend? Okay, once again, this actually falls um, to... I You're guess. asking the magician his secrets, and he may tell them to you right now. <laughs> uh, no, I just got to find... Oh, here we go. Uh, this is also... Um, Colin Upton also asked... The same similar question. So he said, there are many books about Hergé's life and work. Which would you recommend? Okay. I actually, there's only one that I super enjoyed. Like, some of them are interesting because they have, like, the art and they talk about some changes, but they're very, there's not much information about the, the books. But here's what I, le- I'll just tell you guys what I use to research the stories or research the, for the show. Uh, so I keep miss- I keep losing the page that I'm <laughs> looking for here. Sorry, everyone. Just one second here. I'm like, sure ramble madly to find this piece of paper that I used. Oh, here we go. So, uh, yeah, okay. For the first book I used was, um, this is a book originally written in French. It was translated into English. Luckily, the film came out because it did bring out a few books uh, for us to read about Hergé that probably would have been sitting in French. I was kind of, I, I tweeted, or not tweet, I did tweet actually, but I also put on Facebook on, our, on the Totally Tintin page, there's a new book coming out called Tintin and Trains in French. I just said, oh, you know, French-speaking Tintin fans get the deep cuts because there's no way they're going to translate that in English. They're not going to translate a book about Tintin and trains into English. That's just not going to happen. So because there's an appetite for it in, in Europe, yes, that will be released there. But here in North America, there's just not that big an appetite for Hergé. No one's going to spend the money to translate this book, to pay a translator to translate the book and then publish it here. So it's too bad. But uh, so, yeah, the first book is uh, Pierre Assoulines. It's called Hergé, The Man Who Created Tintin. And it's a, it's an okay book. It's a book written, and he has a lot of information. He was basically given access to all of Hergé's letters and all of his papers in the Hergé archives. So he was able to read through all those and create this composite of, of Hergé. Uh, the problem, and then he also did interviews and stuff like that too. The problem with this book is that he, uh, I don't know if he went in with a bit of a bias or he developed a bias against Hergé while he was, hmm. Hergé while he was doing it. But there is, you do feel like there's a, he's not being completely neutral. Like often he's a kind of negative about what Hergé did or what he was doing, particularly with the, with the collaborationist aspect of, of his time, which isn't a, you know, isn't a great time in Hergé's life, but it's not as terrible as, as uh, Asseline makes it out. Other book I uh, used was uh, two Michael Farr books. One was called The Adventures of Hergé, Creative Tintin, which is a kind of, it's an okay book. It's pretty short. And it only, it kind of details 
aspects of, of Hergé. So his love of films, his love of modern art, his friendship with Chang, his uh, boy scout, his love of the boy scouts, uh, just things like that. So okay. it's not super in detail and it's not, you know, his whole life. The other one was, and this is thanks to one of our readers, uh, Tintin, The Complete Companion, which I, I had access to a bit later. And it's an interesting book. It's, uh, it's basically a history of each, of each, of each book. And it'll have pictures from his archives that got turned into the images in the story. So it'll show you different sort of, uh, you know, the actual photograph and then how it looked in, in, as Hergé did it. And, uh, it's pretty, it's a pretty good book. Pretty good book, actually. But it's not, it's not a detailed life of Hergé. The one I liked the best was a book by this uh, British author named Harry Thompson. And it's called Tintin, Hergé and His Creation. And he kind of, it's basically takes Hergé's life as told through, through Tintin stories. So he discusses Hergé's life and the Tintin books one at a time. It's a, it's not super long. It's a very breezy read, but it's quite enjoyable. Uh, I think he gets some of his facts wrong in it. Oh, okay. But everyone gets their facts wrong in all the books that I read. Or the, no, no one, no one always agrees with each other. So, which is fine. I don't care about that. As long as you think you're right, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I don't like when people get really excited about making the absolute fact. Sure. It makes it boring. And then the final book that I used was a book by Benoit Peters called Tintin in the World of Hergé. And that's kind of like the far, the second far book, the, the companion, in that it goes through book by book and it kind of has comparisons of changes that were made to the art or things that Hergé was doing. And it, but it's very short. Like in terms, like there's basically just a blurb about each book and then okay. it moves on to the next one. Also important to research was good old Wikipedia. Uh, you cannot discount Wikipedia because Wikipedia takes all the books that I was taking that information from, it does it for you, and then adds some other information. So I, I would go through these books because I wanted, what I wanted to do with when I read the books was kind of have a sense from a few different voices of Hergé and make my own, make up my own mind, you know, so I could, right. you know, I could decide that he and Greg didn't like each other, even if he was called a friend in some of the, sto- in some of the books that I read. I don't think they were friends. And it doesn't sound like a friendship to me. So, you know, reading different aspects of the story, you could kind of create your own kind of your own view of what was happening. But Wikipedia is helpful as like a, an instant resource, particularly French Wikipedia, because it has, it has access to resources that English, re, English readers and writers don't have. Mm. So that was a very good one to go to, to get other little bits of trivia. And then Tintinologist website is very helpful. And then I found this great, near the end of the books, of course, after you've done all this hard work, I found this great website called uh, Tule Auto de Tintin, All the Cars of Tintin. <laughs> so basically this person goes through and identifies all the different cars in the Tintin stories. So it was really helpful for the calculus affair. I wish I'd had it, wish I'd found it earlier. But uh, yeah, that was good for that. So there you go. All right. So, so all those books, you know, there's, to me, we'll, there's uh, we'll still... We'll put those on our website as well, There's right? still the no perfect, yeah, there's still no perfect... Uh, Hergé book. All right. It's still yeah. other people. All right. Now, you might have answered this earlier, uh, but you mentioned a replica of the rocket and the shark submarine is uh, sold at the Tintin store in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there, are there any other merchandise out there you think uh, is neat? Uh, do you have a wish list? Uh, no. Although, you know what? I do like, I do like, I would like a wa- another watch. So I would, I would buy another Tintin watch. All right. Or someone could send one to you. What about you? Or someone could send one to you. Besides the... Uh, I like the... Uh, I've got the model of the rocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Shane McCarthy, comic book writer, uh, uh, gave me one of those, me and my wife, yeah. uh, Pia. Uh, beautiful. It's on our uh, mantle. Yeah. Uh, I would say, yeah, the shark submarine. Like a model of the shark submarine would be very nice. Yeah. I like uh, I like that design a lot. And have you uh, ever been to the Hergé Museum, David? Sadly, no. It's a place that I really want to go to. And... 
I know online you can do a virtual tour of it. But... But I want to be there. I want yeah, to go there. And, that feels and, like you're a ghost floating through yeah. things. It's not really. You can't touch anything. Yeah. You can't smell it. If if we ever have... If I ever get another job, if we ever have money again, <laughs> uh, I will... Uh, I think that's going to happen. I will... You know, I our next big trip, that's where we'll go. We're going to go to Northern Europe. D- not just for Airjane Museum, but I would love to do like a, a nerdy, uh, f- you know, European... Uh, comic book or comics lovers tour of Belgium, mm-hmm. France, but also you know I'm Canadian, so I'd want to tour the the war memorials. Here's, here's my uh, here's my uh, thing. You're saying I'm not a fanboy, uh, but I'd like to go on a nerdy uh, comic <laughs> book tour. So what's your definition okay. of fanboy? I, I am a fanboy, but in the in the, but not in the sense that I want to. All the things you listed as like a fanboy mm-hmm. would do that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Did you immediately right. in the next ten minutes went? Right. Those are the things I like you're to right. do. But what I want is I want to see the creation. I want to see the pa- pages in in real life. Sure. I want to look at them. I want to see it where the. It real, yeah. I want to see where the ink lines are. I want to see where things are erased. I want to see where things are whited out. I would love to see that. I'd love to see, you know, and this is nerdy. I mean, I would, I would like. I mean, we drove past it. I wish we'd stopped now, but I would would have loved to stop and just looked at Charles Schultz's uh, studio and to see where he yeah. drew. You know, and that's kind of fanboyish. I'll agree. But you know, I don't want to take the replica of it home and put it in my house. I don't have room for a Charles Schultz's studio. So. You know, or Hergé's studio. As much fun as it would be to have Hergé's studio in your house. But it might inspire you for designing your own studio. Yeah, that's true. Because I think that's you true. would like a similar studio to the Shell studio, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something that I found when I, they had a display of uh, Muppets like a while back yeah. here in Vancouver. Okay. And seeing those, it just was like, oh, they were real. There's just a feeling like you know they're real, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you see something, you're just, oh, a person did this. Yeah. This is possible. And it just is, it just awakens something in, in, in you. And, sure. it's, and you see the Muppets and go, they're small. Way smaller than you would expect them to be. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because uh, in your brain, you blow them up. Uh, okay. Well, big que- on the screen. Questions for both of us. Your top three picks, favorite adventures, covers, say supporting characters, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what are your top uh, three uh, stories? I think we know one of them. You've, sa- you've said one of them on the air. Which is? Cast a Fiori Emerald. That's my first one. Okay. And what are the other two? Tintin in Tibet. Mm-hmm. The Black Island. And I put a runner-up, which was the calculus affair. Oh, good. Okay. Well, we are uh, we are two we are two for three. I'm also <laughs> Black Island. Then I'm Explorers on the Moon and the Castafiori Emerald. I was no, I didn't have Explorers on the Moon on my list, but yeah. Yeah, I really like the sense of place. Mm-hmm. I like uh, just uh, the, what really pushed me over the edge with that was uh, the beds that they're in while they're going up in the okay. rocket. That yeah. to me just you feel what the beds are like. Yeah. And uh, and a real amazing dramatic ending with one of the characters and what they do. Yeah. It's just. We've already like, spoiled them. You don't have to. I know, but it's a tippy toe now. Uh, maybe. <laughs> well, you know what I'm th- I'm thinking is not necessarily because some people might have not read a certain book mm. and like I'm not going to listen to that one till I'm till I'm ready. But I'll oh, okay. listen to this. Okay. So okay. You know, we may be a little spoiled. We'll try not to. We'll try not to spoil it. Okay. Then. As for covers, I'll go first on this okay. one. Okay. Uh, Cigars of the Pharaoh. I yeah, love that's that a good one. one. Yep. Uh, I'm going back to Explorers on the Moon. I love that mm-hmm. and uh, Red Rackham's Treasure. Because again, I've, I've mentioned oh. I love that shark stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's just beautiful. We almost agreed. So mine was the Black Island. I love the scent. the water. Well, the water. The water, for sure. That Snowy's expression. He's dressed in a kilt. Yeah. I love that. I also love uh, the sense of expectation of that foreboding island in the distance, mm-hmm. of him in a boat heading towards it, bravely heading towards it. There's no sense that he's scared of what's what's coming. And I really like I like all that aspect of it. That he's but Snowy's like, scared. Snowy's always Snow- scared. Snowy's worried. <laughs> Chicken. Uh, the second one is Explorers on the Moon. Which I love, once again, that is a great sense of place. And I love the, the rocket in the background with that sense of the moon with the, the, the black. And then the, and then 
Air J Rocks, which I'm a big fan of as well as Air J C. Throw a little negative on here. Uh, the cover you dislike the most you've mentioned. Wait, wait. Oh, go ahead. Uh, third, still... third cover. Oh, sorry, I thought you tried me the third. No, no, no. My mistake. Uh, Castafiore Emerald. Yes, I like love that one. Looking... Once again, it's a, c- a cover that brings you into the story, and that it, you know, he's turning and looking at us, you know, with his fingers to his lips. It's a very intimate cover, and I really like that aspect of it. And also the TV equipment is. Uh, and everything, it, it all looks so real. And it, you know, super, super great coloring. So all dark except around, around Bianca Castifiore where she's ha- kind of haloed in this light. It's super, super well done. And, uh, I, just I, I would, I would cover. throw if, if, cause you put in a bonus one for your first one. I'm going to go with the shooting star as well as like my number four. If okay. Gonna be a number Interesting. Four, just cause it's a, it's a cover that, and I think a good cover makes you go, what? Let yeah. me see what's going on. Yeah. And what it makes yeah. you want to open up. And that cover definitely does that. Yeah. I wish it was called the mysterious star as in French. Cause I think that would even make it better. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I put as my runner up, uh, Red Rackham's treasure. Ah, you got a runner up. <laughs> we're all runner, we're all about the runners up. Least favorite covers. I have three of them. Okay. The Blue Lotus. Uh, basically, all of them are the same problem to me. The Blue Lotus, Secret of the Unicorn, and Seven Crystal Balls. All of them are just uh, images floating in a in a space, which I do not like. I like a cover that has a sense of um, I don't know, has a sense. And the Blue Lotus one to me is it's just it's nothing thrilling about it. It doesn't make me. The fact he's kind of startled to see a dragon on the wall. I like the style of the Blue Lotus. I'm, I'm sort of okay with that one. Okay. Uh, my, I, I've only got one that I think is a stinkeroo, mm-hmm. and that's the Tintin in America. I think that one's just terrible. It's just so boring. It's just so boring. He's just okay. standing there with a pole, yeah. and just looking at you, like, huh? <laughs> yeah. And uh, just, hey, come here, look at this guy. Look what I've done over here. Check it out. Yeah, all right, fine. It just feels like it could have been other stuff in the background or, or something. Just me. Yeah, for me on that I, one. I can see. I can see that. I thought you didn't like the crab with the golden claws either. Well, let me see the crab with the golden claws. Uh, yeah, that one was kind of weak as as well. Uh, but uh, Tintin America is just like just seems like two guys casually standing around. <laughs> one guy happens to be tied yeah. to a pole. But that's something about European comics is they have no problem with the cover of people just standing there. It's the weird. Which you could say if the other covers thing. weren't so exciting. If exactly. the next one wasn't Cigars of the Pharaoh, yeah. which is just so amazing, and yeah. it's like there's a bunch of guys who are mummies. What's going on? Why is Tintin not looking up? What? <laughs> this is terrifying. What's happening? You know, and then as you yeah. say, the Black Island. I mean, what's a more exciting cover than the Black Island? It's yeah. just stuff's about to happen. Mm-hmm. We better get to that Black Island. Yeah. Then it's like, yeah, Tintin America. Hey, look, I got him tied up. You gonna burn him or something? I don't know. What's your deal? Nah, who cares? Okay. Uh, he he also uh, we're still in Lane, right? Lane also asked for uh, your favorite supporting characters. Now, who do you consider a supporting character? Like, is Haddock a supporting character? I didn't consider Haddock. He seems calculus. to be a lead. Uh, I didn't didn't consider the three or the four main characters. So Snowy would be a... Snowy would be a main character. Boy, howdy. That's a tough one, then. I'll do mine if you want. Okay, go for it. Uh, first, Dr. Mueller. From? Black Island. Yes, okay. Uh, the Land of Black Gold. And then he's also in uh, one more, right? The Red Sea Sharks. Okay. I like him because I particularly like him in the Land of Black Gold where he tries to kill himself and just shoots himself with black ink. I love that desperation of that moment. And I also yeah. like him in the Black Island where he's willing to shoot and kill Tintin. Like he shoots at him several times in that story. Right. Like he's just a murderous, very villainous person. Yeah. Like Rastapopoulos, he's kind of a fun, goofy character. But as a as an arch enemy or arch villain, he's kind of a dolt. Like he's not he's kind of a dope. He's not really as scary as as to me as Mueller is. Mueller's frightening like his his uh his storyline in in the land of black gold i think is particularly gotcha interesting okay uh number two is nestor yeah i like nestor yeah. a lot i mean, think he's a fun character uh i like him drinking i like him sipping whiskey whiskey 
uh, because he doesn't know in getting caught or, you know, and just little things yeah. like that in his character, his uh, remarkable uh, feat of balance after he slides on the stairs mm-hmm. and Castafira Emerald. Just some really good char- little character things and a character that you don't see a ton or does a ton, you know, but he's, his characters develop enough that he's interesting. Uh, number three is another villain is Spons, who was the colonel in, um, uh, not King Out of Carceptor, but the Cuckoo's Affair, where they trick him. I just like his character is sort of blowhard, you know, when he goes to Castafiore and, you know, he's kind of, uh, flirting with her and, you know, and using his being very arrogant and, you know, it, just, I like this character that's very flawed, but, can, you know, it's an interesting villain. Mm-hmm. And the runner up for that was Ranko. Now, Ranko again is... The gorilla from the Black Island. Very nice. Who would win the fight, uh, Ranko or the Abominable Snowman? Ranko. Really? Yeah. I would disagree. I think the Abominable Snowman would take it a little bit bigger. Uh, Here's the thing, though. I think neither of them would fight. Oh. No, Ranko will no. start a fight. No, Ranko would He's just scared of a little dog. He was, but I think yeah, he'd be he was, okay with a big guy. He'd fight a big guy. No, I don't think so. I think he was whipped to do it. You know, All like, right. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, mis- misunderstood monsters. That <laughs> exactly. seems to be a thing. Exactly. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, I like Castafiore. I like, uh, spe- especially uh, when she is covering for Tintin. Yeah, that's a good one in the book. That, in the that made affair. me feel, yeah, like uh, mm-hmm. I really liked her character. She's, uh, you know, and then the Castafiore Emerald played for mm-hmm. laughs. Yeah. Does a good job there. Sure. After that point, she becomes a little bit of just a snob and I don't care as much. But uh, those two uh, stories really like her. Uh, here's a weird one. When I was watching the Spielberg movie and Alan showed up, I went, Alan! I was like, oh, yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I like Alan. He is good. Yeah, he's a good, good villain. Just working class villain. Yeah. You yeah. know, who's just like, I'm just working for the bad guy. Yeah. He's not going to do bad stuff on his own, but he'll do anything the villain tells him. Yeah. Just a working class guy. Yeah. Gonna take care of this. I'll shoot you. I'll throw you off the thing. I'll leave you on the boat to blow up. Yeah. He's you know? a moral character. And then he comes to a bad, toothless end. <laughs> uh, and uh, this is a weird one, but uh, I'd say in the Blue Lotus, I like Chang. Uh, okay. You know, I like I like their relationship. I like them yeah. back and forth, just laughing about stereotypes, and I like them. Uh, I like Tintin having a friend yeah. that he really likes, and uh, it's nice. Then later on, you know, when he when he finds him again, yeah, you know, I think maybe it's, okay. it's a little I'm, melodramatic. Yeah, that's the but that I was my, but I do like then. I that, thought of him too. But, but Chang then has such an interesting story of being adopted by an abominable snowman <laughs> that I'm like, well, that's great. <laughs> that is kind you of know, fun. I, it, there's right. too much before that of. Chang, that's too much. Yeah. But when you get to Chang, yeah, eh, we're all, I'm on board with seeing Chang. Good for him. So that's yeah. it for me, I think. Okay, and then and settings. Boy, uh, I don't know if I have any settings except the Black Island. I like that. That's uh, my first one. Claustrophobic again. kind of environment, the climbing Island. up those stairs. Well, the whole book gives you a. I mean, if we both been in England, and that book is very evocative of England. Yeah, and heck, I like the moon. I like exploring the moon. I like the cave okay. on the moon. Yeah, that's a good. Part. You know, it's that's true. great. I put the Black and Island. And the rocket itself. Yeah, it's true. I put the Black Island. King Ottokar Scepter, I really like um, he and uh, Jacob's evocation of this country, uh, sort of Yugoslavia slash um, other place. The place where they, um, in um, Casino Royale, where they have the uh, poker. Monaco? It's not Monaco, no. Remember, it's in, it's, um, oh man. And if I told you the name, you'd say it's somewhere near Monaco. <laughs> okay. But it's not. I'm going to. Oh, darn it all. That's all right. That's I had the same right. problem. I was talking to my wife about it a little while ago, and I had the same problem then, too. It took me about two days to think of the name. Wow. You and, did not have access to the internet in two uh, days. I'd rather try and think of it. Just sitting there angrily yeah. on the couch. Just and she's like, look it up. What is the name of that place? Look it up. What is the name? Go to bed. Uh, Take out the garbage. The one I enjoy, I really like the Castafiore Emerald. I like finally being in... Marlin Spike. Uh, Marlin Spike and having a sense of the place and walking around the grounds. Cause I, and I always love 
in every story, I love Tintin coming to Marlin's bike. Mm -hmm. So I love those scenes of the countryside where he's walking through it or riding his, his bike through it or whatever through it. You know, I just like that aspect of, of Marlin's bike. And so it's fun in that story. And then runner up was Crab with the Golden Claws. I like the sea setting. I like the ship. Uh, and I mm -hmm. like uh, the desert sequences as well. It's all really good. All right. Uh, then uh, question number two. Uh, uh, I have one more thing. Oh, he said He said et cetera, so I thought I'd add one oh, extra one. Okay. When you give Dave an et cetera. <laughs> Which was favorite absent-minded professor outside of calculus. Oh, I'd go with the one from uh, The Shooting Star. I forgot his name. Fossil? Yeah, Fossil. I liked him. I like Fossil. I went similar, but I went with uh, Flippolis. I think he's a professor who goes insane and becomes the prophet who's ah. sending on the mask. I like his character. Hector Alembic from, uh, I like both him and his twin brother in King Autocar Scepter. And the last one is Professor Tarragon, who is kind of a big burly professor who has the, uh, the mummy of Casper or Cac or whatever his name is in, uh, in the Seven Crystal Balls. Well, when, when we're watching uh, the Blue Oranges, oh, not good. Uh, there's, a, there's a scene in the, in the movie, it's the live-action Tintin film, not good, uh, where Calculus meets up with another professor. Yeah. And it's a professor who has created some Blue Oranges that are going to save humanity because they yeah. will grow in a desert. Uh, when I saw that, I was like, oh, I like the idea of Calculus meeting with other professors. And I was like, oh, it's a shame that never got around to like all the absent-minded professors get together for a society meeting of the science counselor or something. Yeah. Well, they're all going to be there, but they got interrupted in Flight 714, right? <laughs> yeah, they, they got kidnapped well. to the island rather, sure. than, rather than us going to the conference. But yeah, uh, yeah, they do like an absent-minded professor. I'll, I'll tell you that in these mm -hmm. books. All right, question number two. I think, uh, I think of Prisoners of the Sun as being the quintessential Tintin book. There's mystery, adventure, good characterization, lovely art, uh, and interesting cultural touches. I can't say it's my favorite book, but it really sums up Tintin, I think. Uh, do you think uh, there is a quintessential adventure, and does it jibe with uh, your favorite, and why or why not? Okay, well, I don't really have one of this. That's a that's a tough one. For me, me, for me, it's the Black Island. Even though it has not got, uh, you haven't got Haddock. In I it. know you have not got Calculus. Because, but here's the thing: no Marlin Spike. Sense of place. Having been in England quite a few times, it's a book I love because when I read it, I feel like I'm there mm -hmm. in in England while I'm reading it, and because it really evokes England. Uh, it's an exciting adventure. You know, it's a real action packed. You know, so if you're going to see this, if you're going to quintessential adventure, that to me is is that story. Okay. You know, it's packed with adventure and it's, you know, and it's Tintin by himself. I know Snowy's with him, but essentially Tintin by himself against, you know, everyone, you know, the Thompsons. So against the law, against the criminals, it's just him, this one character from beginning to end, fighting to the end of the and story. And Thompsons back then also had a sense of danger to them where they could arrest you mm -hmm. and put you away. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas you think like in, in, in later stories, just run five feet and they're going to fall and trip. And yeah. it's, it's not, there's no threat. Uh, whatsoever. So I wrote down, I use the word quintessential as well to say it's a quintess quintessential Tintin and Snowy story. Mm -hmm. It's a, you know, it's a very st strong story about the relationship with each other. Snowy uh, using the goat to save Tintin in the cliff sequence. Right. Uh, but also Snowy getting drunk. Snowy giving away the goat, giving away the uh, game when Tintin pulls out his emergency supply of beard and hat to play the old yeah. man in the window. Just things like that, that Snowy, but Snowy also coming to save him on the Black Island. Just stuff like that that are, you know, great things about Snowy's character. Let me say that's something that I do miss with the later books is Tintin is not the master of disguise that he is at the beginning. I like him <laughs> putting on a little something and then you think, sure. oh, it's that guy, but yeah. then it's, no, it's that guy. Some of the nonsense of that, that kind of nonsensical stuff kind of leaves the... 
Yeah. And then uh, I like Snowy saving uh, Tintin's life uh, with yeah. the uh, with the monster. Sure. You know, because the yeah. monster's scared of Snowy. That's right. And then it's got some good Thompson stuff in there. They're not just annoying yeah. cl- klutzes. They're it's actually kind of fun the sequence of them in the plane. Uh, that kind of background is as Tintin's going through the story. And then I did say the drawback is missing the captain. I'll agree that that's a drawback to the story, but I still think it's so strong a story that. Uh, so the final question from Lane is: What adventure? Didn't it sound like I edited the show? I didn't. I just stopped talking in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> what adventure would you recommend for introducing young slash new readers to Tintin, Ian? I would go uh, Shooting Star. Because really? Sh- because Shooting Star starts with this. It's the end of the world. Wow. And I think if you're if you're giving That's this... That's a crazy just, story. It's a crazy it's story. And it ends with like a giant spider yeah, and all this yeah. other business. But if you're just coming in cold, mm. I think like you're you're seeing a kid and his dog. Yeah. And then uh, what's going on? It's getting very hot out. And there's always going to be a time in your life where you really... I mean, you can relate to that as a kid. It's getting warmer. Maybe if you're reading this in the summertime, it's really yeah. getting hot. Guess why? End of the world. What? And <laughs> uh, and uh, what's happening with this? And then you've got, you know, this, this uh, you know, thing that's making things grow huge. Yeah. You know? You know, all stuff that I think as a kid, if you're talking like a kid, yeah. can relate to without any prep. There's mm. nothing you don't understand about Tintin. The okay. whole scenario is laid out. Yeah. And it's a it's it's interesting. It grows. Tintin's brave. Uh, there's crazy scientists. You know, it's it's fun. I mean, I, I'd say if the kid likes uh, space, then Explorers on the Moon is a good way to go. I don't even know if I'd go Destination Moon first. I might just take take them straight to Explorers on the Moon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's uh, starting cold. That's a pretty good one uh, to go with Shooting Star. Interesting. I I went a different direction. I guess I said the crab with the crab with the golden claws. Okay. Which I think is a fun story that introduces Captain Haddock. So you get a sense of the characters kind of come. The story's kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good adventure yarn. It has boats. It has desert. It's got planes. It's got. Every, it's exciting. Yeah. It's an exciting story, and then it also, but you know, it also has lots of good personal adventure as well. Uh, and the other one I thought would, was good for kids is the Cigars of the Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Which is a very fun kind of story yep. with with you know the kind of the Egyptian sequence then because it kind of, you know it's not a completely coherent story but it's so much fun that you can kind of gloss over the maybe some uh, of the weirder parts of it yeah maybe I'm uh, my problem is I'm thinking North American kids right so uh, like I'm picturing my niece and my nephew and if I'm watching a movie with them something better start happening in the first five minutes yeah frankly the first two minutes something better start <laughs> happening and I think Scars of the Pharaoh is a lot of like wandering around and like oh there's a can. Hmm. What is no, it? you're thinking of uh, Crab with Golden Claws. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Well, Cigars of the Pharaoh. Uh, how does that one start? Does it start exciting or how does it start? They're on a boat. They meet the professor. They go to the pyramids. The professor disappears. Okay. Yeah. It's a little bit of a slow burn to get going, whereas that's why I would go with okay. my thing. It's just like, okay. everyone's going to die. That's the, the we're starting. And uh, here we go. I, I, would, I guess I can kind of agree with you, but I know that, uh, I know that uh, my nephews, giving them comics that... You know, they'd sit down to read, and they would just read through it. You know, they wouldn't put it aside. Right. So I, I don't. But what year was that, David? It, was that before the internet? No, no, that was just recently. Oh, okay, good for them. All right, our next question is coming from uh, Nina Matsumoto, who is a comic book artist, a friend of ours, and has uh, won an Eisner, which is the highest honor you can win in the comic book industry in North America. Wow. So she should just quit now. Is what I she say. She should. Yes. Yep. That's the end. Done. Uh, so uh, <laughs> if you're listening to this, we're here to uh, help. quit now. Uh, I'm going to throw this question over to you, Dave, because it's got French involved. And when I say <laughs> French, even though I was born in Montreal, I sound like un idiot. Okay. 
Uh, Nina asks, have you seen, read, Georges Echang, Une Histoire d'Amour au XXIe siècle? Oh, how you do go on, sir. Um, <laughs> no, I have not. Uh, I've never heard of it. So No, I have not read it either. It's a, it's a book that, um, it's sort of a, what would you call it? An alternate history, a, an attempt to write uh, a, uh, well, what it, what it is, is it's a book that suggests that there was a romantic relationship between Chang and Hergé when they met as young men. Okay. Uh, so it's in no way based in reality. There was no romantic relationship between them. Mm-hmm. I doubt there was any sexual attraction between them. I don't think Hergé was made that way. Uh, it didn't indicate in any other part of his life. So uh, I think it's someone either wishful thinking or just they have their own agenda and they had some fun with it. Okay. Uh, have you heard that it's a good book or not a good book? I don't, yeah. Uh, what I've seen of it, it looks, you know, the drawings are okay and stuff like that. Oh, it's a, it's a drawing. It's, it's a, a graphic novel, yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Came out, I think, in 2012. Is the style in Hergé's style? No. It's a, it's a you know, kind of whatever, real sort of realist style, realistic style. Okay. But. Well, let me throw this out then to uh, to you, uh, listeners. Have you have you read this book? Yeah. And uh, what do you think of it? And let's uh, let's talk about it that way because yeah. I can't comment on it. Have not read it. Have not seen it. Yeah, it's kind of fanfic, I guess, in a way. It's yeah, a it sort seems of like there's a lot of up... fan fiction floating around here. This might <laughs> uh, go a little bit more towards slash fic. Is it a, a very sexual story? I, not that I saw. I think it's just more suggested that just suggested. Yeah. All right, then it's he was fan married fic. to Germaine at the time. Maybe he he knew he couldn't leave her for his love. I, I don't think that the relationship was that way. I think it was very meaningful intellectually yeah. to Hergé in the sense that Chang opened a window up to a whole world that he never knew existed outside of the very cloistered, closed-in world of Belgium well, that he lived th- in. Let me throw this out at you then. Uh, Tintin's relationship with, with Chang in, uh, in what's the story where he goes, uh, Blue Lotus? Tibet. Okay, Tintin Tibet. Tibet. Yeah. Uh, do you think that had any hints of romance to it? No. Really? I kind of do. Like, well, I think that's the closest thing I've seen huh. in a in a t- in a Tintin story to anything where if I think like if if that was a woman, yeah, uh, and he was constantly going that over and over and over again, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe I think, and I don't think it necessarily is, but I'd say it's the closest thing uh, in the entire series that we've seen where he where he cares that much about yeah. an outside character past the point of all rationality. Well, there's that there's that part of the story, but the point of that part of the story is that he has had a premonition of 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 Chang. Yes, you know that he's had this dream about him being alive, and so the story is about this, you know, sort of psychic connection they have together. It's not about a romantic attachment. It's Mm -hmm. about attachment of friendship through the years. Mm -hmm. That Erge was writing about his own uh, connection to Chang. That's what I'm saying. It's like, but the connection is an intellectual one. It's not a. You know, it's a psychic it connection. It's not a. It's, it's not a sexual. No, I know I think it's sexual, but it's beyond yeah. intellectual. Like it's not just a. Oh, I'd like to have a conversation with him. Like in the, in the story, it's it's an obsession. It's yeah. the most obsessed that you see Tintin about anything. Yeah. Like there's no other there's no other story that I've read where Tintin is. This is the one thing we must do, and we yeah. must just keep doing it, and we must do this. And it's like you're in danger. People could die. I don't care. I'm going. Uh, my my dog yeah. could die. I don't care. I'm going. And just like over and over, go go. go go we got to do it and uh you know just yelling at people sure it's but very friendship, it's a very different story than any any other Tintin yeah, story but friendship doesn't have to be romantic sometimes a yeti is just a yeti it could it could very well be there's something it feels like there's something yeah i just feel like our culture you know we're very overtly sexual so we nah, tend to look uh, well, in forget sexual we tend forget to look se- into sexual i'm saying you know th- but there's something it romantic seems, about it there's something more well it could i mean it could be i mean 
you know, it's hard. Because, it's still hard for us. Tintin is underage, but we still. Have... I don't think Tintin, you know, in any way is is sexual. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's that. But the but the obsession that he yeah. has for his friend, let's even just go with friend, sure. goes is is I wouldn't say it's out of character because anything Tintin does is in character because yeah. Tintin's doing it, so that makes it in Could character. Be. But it's but it's out of character as opposed to any other time because there's never a story uh, where Tintin sort of drives the story by Tintin's own and I don't want to say desire in this way, but desires or wants. Yeah. Tintin just like finds something, is kind of curious. The story goes along uh, until we get to the very end where Tintin doesn't even want to show up for the adventure and then he finally does and we never see why. <laughs> uh, but but he's not the motivating force. You know, he's the guy who's he's yeah. the he's the explorer, he's the solver of problems. Yeah. Uh, but he's not the you know, it's it's like I would, I would disagree with that. But well, okay. I think it's like in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Professor Jones doesn't just look something up on his own and go, oh, I'm going to go. What happens is someone comes to Professor Jones and goes, this is the mission, Professor Jones. All right, I'm on my way. And he'll do it. To, to He'll finish it off. Crab with the Golden Claws, I would say, falls outside of that then. All right, what does he do in Crab? Well, he finds the can and becomes very curious about it. Find, yeah. You know, finds a label, starts to put together this sort of mystery, mm-hmm. goes to the ship. Then I guess he gets kidnapped on the ship, but he's the one who started it. He didn't get ordered or asked. Same with same with King Autocar Scepter. Right. He finds a briefcase, returns it, gets you know kind of suspicious what's going on. Possibly, yeah. Uh, you know, I'd say that that is a possibility. But and I, again, I'm not locked into this opinion. I, it's just yeah. one that's I think. Discussable. No, no, it's interesting and it's possible. I mean, there there are stories. There are his, stories in history of two men's friendship. Or you know that are so close together it is almost romantic. Mm-hmm. There is a kind of Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. Is that, does that shake it that way too? I, I think, you know, those two are, it's them against the world. Yeah. I'd say a little bit. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But not Huckleberry Finn and Jim. I think that's a different relationship. Any hubba-da-who, uh, <laughs> let us know what you think. Uh, now we're moving on to Colin Upton. Also. Thanks for that, uh, that um, question, Nina. Yes. And uh, you stirred up a hornet's nest. And if you get a chance to read any of Nina's work, please do. Uh, there's an upcoming book she's working on that both David and I are working on as well. We'll tell you more about that on our other podcast. <laughs> um, so Colin Upton. Uh, now, Colin is a cartoonist that was an influence on me as a cartoonist when I was starting mm-hmm. out. Uh, he's had books with Fantagraphics and his own uh, self-published work. Uh, again, well worth uh, checking out. And also a big Hergé fan uh, who has uh, really helped us out on our webpage with a lot of information. Yep. So thank you so much, Colin, for everything that you've contributed to the show. Uh, let's let's see what his questions are. Well, we can skip the first one. Very good. Uh, because it's all just like, who's the more handsome, Ian or Dave? Well, <laughs> I think we've already established that. Number two, uh, I would like to know if you've read any of the novels that incorporate Tintin as character. Now, this is very similar to the Oh, yeah, earlier, sorry. Which is, have you read Tintin in the New World and Tintin in the Secret of Literature? Uh, Ian, get reading, he says. <laughs> no, I'm out. Uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, these are again sort yeah, of we've fan kind of, fiction we've, type books. We've talked books. about it, yeah. Okay. Uh, but Colin, uh, as you normally do, please post what you thought of these books on our, our page. We're yeah, I'm curious. Also, uh, he, the next question is similar. Have you read Breaking Free, where Tintin is a Molotov cocktail uh, hurling anarchist? Yeah. I think we've shown that Tintin is a character that you can imprint your own views on if you feel like it, and people have. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's drawn in a kind of an Hergé style, yeah. but not. There's a lot of tracing in it and stuff like that. Uh, it's it's okay. It's very much uh, early '80s British political, like sort of left wing politi- political ideology. That's what it sort of seemed like and, to me when uh, I read the plot. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's it's okay. It's kind of a long, sh- kind of a long slog. It's like it's over 80 pages, so it's okay. go- it goes on for a while. 
I don't think you should go longer than the thing you're parodying. That's um, no. I think most parodies should be half of the length of the thing they're parodying. Absolutely. Actually. All right. Uh, could you review the Adventures of Hergé and how much of it is accurate? Oh, this is a big one. Uh, you did lend me this book. Yep. Uh, I, I. It was weird because like I thought it was. I thought it was all right. Just uh, after being part of this show, uh, I thought it glossed over so many things that you discussed on this show. I thought, no, no, talk more about that. Talk more about this. Yeah. And it kind of like. It, it just skimmed over things like a rock on a pond in a way that you never really got to know how Hergé felt about things. Uh, it was stylistically interesting, reminded me a little bit of Raw. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, I honestly think it was, to me, it was a C plus. It was like fine. It was all right. It gives you a kind of basis as to some of the event, uh, events that happened. Yeah. But, uh, you know, without any real heart to it, sure. which I think would have been nice in a story about Hergé. But it, how about yourself? It, yeah, well, it's actually the first Hergé biography I read. So there were things in there that I didn't know when I was reading it that I was I was interested in. But uh, yeah, I kind of I agree with you. There, once you sort of once you know the history, and then you look back at it, you're like, well, that person didn't say that. They're putting they're putting words you know into that person's mouth. There's some sequences during the collaborationist period where uh, you know a lot of the things that Hergé wrote in letters. Or, you know, they, just, they kind of find their way into other characters' mouths, which is, I'm not against that, because it's a necessity when you're compressing and you're trying to do a story like this. But I agree with you, it's kind of kind of gives you the the, uh, the Cole's notes of the... I mean, it really did show how much danger Hergé was in, you know, that, was uh, that he was in danger of being, you know, executed. And some, yes. there's a scene where there's someone else in a cell with him. Uh, and then that person does not make it. It's we like, talked about it's, it in the show. It's very yeah. chilling, yeah. you know, to to, to yeah. see that. Uh, I think it's worth a if you're a fan. It's worth a it's worth a look through. Um, you know, it's it's okay. Again, I would give it a C plus if I was grading it. All right. So jump to. Uh, oh, do you want me to read number six? Yeah, go please. Have you heard the Tintin Radio plays? A BB production, a, a BBC, BBC production. Sorry, I think I believe. Yeah, uh, I have listened to the Black Island one, and I liked it quite a bit. I mm -hmm. thought it moved along in a nice clip, and uh, we we both said we had problems with uh, Nelvana animation. Yeah, uh, my problem with a lot of uh, uh, Canadian animation is it's so slow, and the BBC radio pops along at a really good clip, and I thought the character sounded right. Uh, it was it was uh, action packed. It worked for me. Uh, it does not have the Hergé art, so I don't know how it would work for you. It's you know it's okay. Uh, it does tell the stories pretty f efficiently, and we talked about this a little bit last week when we're. Uh, is I off I list when I hear Tintin speak, I think British. Like for me, because I was reading them as British books, I you know I didn't really know where they came from originally, so right. I just kind of put British voices into my mind as I read them. And so that's always been a part of them. So when I hear British people doing the Tintin stories, I'm like, this is how they should sound. Not they should be speaking with a French accent. Uh, no, I want the British is how they speak. And so, um, yeah, they're okay. They're okay. All right. Uh, if that's what you want. Final question, say really fast. Do you have any idea how much Tintin porn is out there? Uh, no, we don't. We haven't looked at the Tintin porn. Maybe Dave has. I, 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 I did. Because of this question, I felt like I should, should look it up. Okay, go ahead. It's there. It's there. There's there's something about everything. Yeah. There's listen. Here's the thing. Uh, the, if you create anything in this world, someone's gonna do that to it. Mm. So there you go. Someone's gonna fan fiction. Someone's gonna slash fiction. Someone's gonna all the fiction and then the fiction. It's there. <laughs> it doesn't take yeah. away from the main thing, but uh, you know, my, as Haddock says, whatever floats your boat. Here's my comment: If when you do a parody of something and porn is a parody of something, porn is just a, a different sort of mm -hmm. pastiche or whatever of of a. It also it should be a short. It should be half as long as what it's parodying. Sure. And that's the same with, with uh, sex. 
parodies. They should be half as long as the thing they're parodying. Very good. All right, moving on from that, because we are an all-ages podcast. Uh, <laughs> you wanted to throw a th- uh, thanks to Colin as well? Well, you did. You, you think? You think. Well, double thanks to Colin. <laughs> uh, Dylan O'Connell has a question for Dave. Uh, what have you discovered about Tintin that you didn't know, and do you have a greater or lesser respect for the series, and or how has your opinion changed? I kind of touched on that when we were talking about the reading them chronologically. But yeah, learning more about Hergé definitely changed how I think of the books, particularly, yeah, particularly, well, okay, so one was learning that they were done one page at a time. I didn't realize that before. I, at the most, I, you know, because the Spiru, when it published, they would usually do three or four pages of, of a comic, not just one page. So it was very interesting that he just did one page a week, which mm-hmm. is kind of curious. The other, the other thing, and then to go on from there to switch his style to one like comic strip column uh, a day is all is fascinating. So when we get to the shooting star and crowd with the golden claws, he's working in that, and he's still working effortlessly and in a medium that's you know, very different than a page at a time. But he's still it's still amazing what he did. And then to learn about the pressures behind him, mm-hmm. you know, the obvious to me obvious post traumatic stress that he went through, the depression. Uh, you know, when his sort of Boy Scout world fell apart in the post-World War II period. Um, that's also very fascinating, you know. In a way, and I don't want mean to sound mean, because I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, in a way, I was impatient with him at how long it took him to do the later stories as we were reading the history. You know, every after a while, I was just like, oh, he left for, for another while. I was just like, come on! Like, take care of your problems and then get back to work, you know which is a kind of insensitive way to think about it. But that's kind of how I started feeling after a while of reading every, you know, like for the next four or five stories you were reading about, you know, he kept taking all his time. The stories were taking four years to do. What kind of I found frustrating with that, sorry to interrupt, but I'll throw it back to you, is uh, that he wouldn't let anyone else do them too. It's Mm. like, to me, maybe that would have been, I mean, it sounds like, you know, awful to like, oh, someone besides Hergé doing these stories. But maybe that would have awoken something in him. Like he took all the burden on himself to do all the Tintin stories and then went, I can't take the burden. Oh, we'll take this burden off you. No. Only I can take the burden. Yeah. I'll see you in seven years. Yeah. It's like, no, let someone else, you know, it's, you know, maybe, I don't know whatever the motivation for that was, whether it was positive or negative, yeah. but it's a shame because I think it, it, it took away some stories we might have nowadays. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the interesting thing about Tintin is that, yeah, that he drew it from beginning to end. I mean, basically, it was just him. Right. Which gives it a real unified sense. There's very few comic strips Besides, Peanuts, I guess, would be one, mm-hmm. where only only uh, Charles Schultz worked on this comic strip, Peanuts. That's right. Um, but know, he never took a break. He never had that situation where he went, I can't do it no more. Yeah. I'm leaving. No, that's right. He had a totally different uh, work ethic or work feeling about how... I mean, he was tormented in a different way. Sure. But his torment came out, came out in a different... Ex- it was expressed differently than, I, than it was I, for Tintin. I think a, it was for Hergé. Uh, a more accurate parallel would be... Because it's a... I mean, the, Peanuts is a gag strip. And, yeah. Though, the boy, uh, Schultz, uh, expressed his creativity in the strip changed radically as he yeah. aged and changed. But something along the lines of uh, Will Eisner's The Spirit, whereas Will Eisner was part of The Spirit always, but he did have collaborators yeah. like Jules Pfeiffer and yeah. other people and Wally Wood. Lufine. Yeah, yeah, who would come in and, you know, by the end, Will Eisner's still do, working on the spirit. Yeah. He's still doing spirit stories. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the spirit suffered for having the other creative talent uh, helping but he, but to buoy Will, him. But through. Will Eisner came out of that 
fact you know comic book factory and you know right. he ran a comic book factory before he did the before he did the spirit un- so, un- understood it's yeah. a different it's a different way of doing it mm-hmm. but you know he was able to do i i when you think oh you know uh no one but will eisner could do the spirit yeah. it's fair but so many other people helped that i think that maybe maybe helped to make it easier maybe it's more inspiring yeah you know when you go i'm not collaborating uh with people i'm, I'm the main creative force yeah Boy, that's tough. Especially if you're not enjoying what you're doing. Yeah, you're just you're just cutting off all the roads for yourself to the point where you can't go forward, and then you've got to go. Oh, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's like, "Where is it?" And yeah. uh, now you're stressing, and your hands are bleeding. Sure. No, it's interesting because if you look at other strips from that time period, if you look at, um, say, the Spiro and like uh, Fa- Spiro and Fantasio, those stories that Frank Hand did. I mean, he's taking over a character that someone else had started, mm-hmm. so he's inheriting this character and and kind of t- making it his own. But you know, and then he stops, and it carried on. Other artists took over after he left, or even Jill Jordan, Maurice to use great detective stories. Uh, at some point, he stopped drawing them. He just wrote them, and someone else took over the art. You know, so. Only Hergé wanted that kind of control over over his characters, and I wonder, I wonder why. I wonder what the I think fear it was insecurity was. as part of yeah, it. Yeah, that's usually what it comes to. I mean, again, I don't want to project any emotions onto people, mm-hmm. you know. But it, it obviously was something that was strong enough that stopped him from doing anything. Yeah. So yeah. if if it comes to the point where like whatever it is is stopping you from picking up your paintbrush, then and you're not doing your art, then you got to figure out what that is and do something different. It yeah. can't just be. You know, no, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have it the way I'm gonna have it because uh, no, it's not, it's not working, and it's a drag. And it felt like he had a really rough time with it too, so mm. it wasn't, yeah, like a, like if he was enjoying himself, yeah, uh, I would, not, I would have less of a problem. If he was going, I'm gonna have seven years of fun and went off and just had a great time, yeah, I got less of a beef. But it sounded like you know he was, he was having it rough, and then the work wasn't coming out. I was like, oh, something should change. The other thing that reading these uh, brought home for me was how much Hergé created the language of comics for Europe. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there was no one... Uh, Zygen Puce ex- existed, uh, the, the comic existed before him. It used word balloons, you know, it had... But really, Hergé, you know, he's kind of the, the beginning. Like, he's kind of the godfather, the grandfather of, of comics in, in Europe, you know, like... And also to see him develop his, you know, and to learn on the job, you know, so you look at a book like Tintin in America, where he's getting the characters entering rooms all the wrong directions, yeah. you know, he's not understanding that the action should move right, because you should, action should move in the direction you're reading, yeah. and he starts to learn that, and you start to see, like, the boats that he's drawing, instead of being, a, a, like, a stage play, they become a, an actual object floating in the ocean, so he's drawing them crooked, and so right. characters, you know, there's a, a an environment. From one panel to the next, they're, that's they're right. changing it. To so you there's an envir- a sense of environment that starts coming into the stories. You know, he's re- he's learning on the job, and I, you know, I really appreciate that element of it, too. You can see his drawing, the very crude drawings of Tintin in the Land of the Soviets, work its way through the black and white versions into the color versions and then onwards you know like he every he just kept developing as an artist all the time and it's is interesting to watch that as well i really appreciated that element of it as well and i appreciated the fact you know in the early days how much how creative he was how much work he did mm-hmm. every day on a on a comic strip you know like it's it's amazing like the the wartime stuff is amazing what is like the, how much work he was what doing what is the longest gap between books uh betw- uh the longest gap would be um, the seven years from uh, seven, Flight 714 to the Picaros. Now, just imagine yourself like, you know, you draw. And, like, you're not going to draw for seven years. And then you're going to... I mean, I'm sure he doodled. I'm sure he did things. I'm yeah. sure he did this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. But, like, to get back into whatever job you have, yeah. you leave any job and then come back seven years later. 
that's rough. Yeah. That's so, so hard. Even but, a year, it's so, yeah. it's so hard. But we had some comments about the art in 714 and Picaro. I've listened to Picaro's for me, but in 714, where you really feel like he wasn't that involved in it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some stuff in there that just doesn't have the, the touch of Hergé in it. Yeah, it's just, t- you, you, you do lose a rhythm. You do lose, mm-hmm. you know, the momentum, and yeah. you got to start the elephant moving again. And once the elephant's moving, well, you can ride the elephant for as long as you want. But yeah. Okay, uh, so uh, was that question a- for Ian? Yeah, all right. Why don't you read me the question for Ian? Why did you never read Tintin before after being urged? Mm-hmm. Was there a reason, or you just never got around to it? What is your opinion now? Okay, why didn't I read it before? Because uh, there all seemed to be something else that looked more exciting to read. <laughs> well, you should say you're a superhero guy, so you really no, are no, drawn. No, I, wa- I wasn't to that. actually like when I was a when I was young, young. Yeah. Uh, and I was growing up in Montreal. Yeah. You know, I go. You to- like superhero autobiograph autobiography <laughs> comics. <laughs> You like superhero alternative comics? I was just into Zap. I was into like, R. Crumb yeah. as like a five-year-old. Um, no, I was a voracious reader. I would read anything in yeah. the library. I yeah. went stem to stern. I'd read it all. Yeah. And I think there was a little bit uh, from my... I used to go to the library with my grandfather. And my grandfather wanted me to read books. He didn't want me to read comics. Yeah. So if I was actually picking up probably something like a Tintin book at the time, it would be, eh, we don't have to read that. Let's read something else. Okay. Because, you know, uh, comics were for dummies. Okay. So, yeah. you yeah. know... My parents thought the same thing. That's right. They still do. Now I get a little old. And at the school library, we've got Tintin, but we've got Tintin next to Asterix. Mm. And Asterix is this crazy bulbous-nosed guy with a fat friend, and they're drinking magic potions, and they're punching out people, and it's crazy, and it's exciting, and yeah. And there's infinite Asterix comics to read. So I've got to go through theirs, and I pick up Tintin, and they're having coffee, and they're having brunch, and Tintin's reading the paper going... Look at this news story, Snowy. And then it cuts to panels of text, news text. And it's like, okay. So that's that's basically, it looked boring to yeah, me. They yeah. just looked too bland. It was him walking down the street a lot, uh, putting on his coat, uh, going up some stairs. Putting uh, on his coat, the things he liked the best. There is, uh, now I like it, yeah. Uh, the, watching his landlady mop a floor. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, meanwhile, whackety boom, bam, bam in Asterix. Then, uh, after I was done with Asterix, that's about the time I discovered Marvel Comics. And then I was just all on board with that. Yeah. And so there was infinite Marvel Comics out there. Why aren't I going to read those? And I never really got around to reading Tintin. And again, when I when I read them, I think there was also uh, the word balloons put me off. Like, okay. the, well, for some reason, just the way they were. It was just like, Different. it's a little hard yeah. to read. It was similar to why EC Comics were difficult for me to read. Just the word balloons are a little, mm, this is just... I don't know why. Just a little jarring, a little difficult, just very text dense. Yeah. Didn't care for them. Uh, so, yeah, that was probably the reasons back in the day. Interesting. Uh, then, uh, what is your opinion now of Tintin? Um, my opinion now is it is a flawed masterpiece. Uh, <laughs> I think there's uh, some amazing gold, as I say, in the center. Yeah. Was you telling me what was going on in Hergé's life? Uh, this is kind of the sad thing, like, because I knew nothing about Hergé's life. Yeah. And, you know, when we started off, and World War II began in the story. Mm-hmm. I said, I said to you, "Oh, I can't wait till this is over." And you said, oh, "Things get really bad then." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no!" And I think I said to you, "But they get better later." Then and you went, eh. and so that set me up with a feeling of dread of like, "Oh damn!" Yeah, you know, I don't. I, I want this to. I want him to have a happy situation. I want the artist to be happy. Yeah. And knowing that the artist wasn't happy along along the way, I think colored a little bit of you know the the books and whatever for me there too. That was a that was a shame. Uh, so yeah, I think it it starts like oh it's okay, and then it ends oh that's too bad. Uh, <laughs> but the middle I think is 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 great and it's amazing storytelling and there's such a wonderful sense of adventure and I think 
when I did watch that opening title sequence to the Spielberg movie and saw all the aspects of Tintin, it really made me go, I really like Tintin. Yeah. I'm jazzed. Yeah. You know, I'm really jazzed. I like Tintin. I really do. Uh, and, and maybe I like some of it as a concept more than I like it as a reality. And reading them all in a row exposes you to the reality of, so what did you think of that mm-hmm. one? Well, really, it's not, that one's not super great, but, it's a great idea, and the characters are great, and there's so much potential for great that I'm I'm gonna really good, and then the middles are really really good, and then yeah. the ending is like yeah. oh, oh come on, <laughs> stick the landing, but you know it doesn't quite stick the landing. No, I agree. Uh, fl- so it's I a guess flawed you, masterpiece. I mean, you could say that about lots of different things. Like, I feel the same way. Like about the the spirit, for instance, Eyes of the Spirit. I mm-hmm. mean, Eyes of the Begin. If you see the the original spirit uh, comics, they're pretty rough. Yes. They're pretty rough. They are. It's not till you get to the kind of the 50s or late 40s, 50s, some, that's where he really started to come into his own. The early stuff, P.U. Uh, so, you know, most... Though not P.U. compared to the other stuff at the time. If you paralleled it with things that were going okay, on maybe. at the same... Oh, yeah. There's a lot of okay. There's a lot of. Uh, it's possible. I mean, it, it just doesn't have that look of the, the 50s ones, that the ones that right. we all know and love with Jules Pfeiffer working on them and, and stuff like that. Those are so good. Let me ask you this. Uh, when you're saying like uh, there are a lot of things are like this. We we did a Beatles podcast before we did this one called Completely Beatles. Mm-hmm. Would you say uh, that was just like straight stem to stern masterpiece or was that flawed flawed masterpiece? They're, they're, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, let it, let it be as flawed. Let it be as, let it be as a flawed masterpiece, if you want to call it. Okay. Please please me. It's, you know, it's good. The songs on there are pretty good, but it's it compared to Revolver, you know, like you just can't compare like their golden period to their to their beginnings. The same with with Erge. Okay. You know, Erge when he's starting off is a little rough. He doesn't have all his chops together. And then as he works along, he starts to learn to play guitar the, backwards and yeah, there's definitely to, parallels yeah. and both end a little bit sad depending on how you look exactly. at it. Exactly. All things end. Everything has to end, and ending, endings are always sad. You know, and the fact is that. A seven-year-old man isn't going to do something as well as a thirty-year-old man. Right. Well, you let know? me let me give you this though. It's like for all that you know, you can going to go uh, to the artists. It may be sad because everyone's going to pass away at some mm-hmm. point, whatever. Yeah. But you, but everything doesn't necessarily end because someone is always going to be discovering this work, and someone is well, going to no, be inspired right. by the work. The work, the work remains. Right. You know, and the that's... work, the work outlives the creator, mm-hmm. and so you know that is an important thing to remember. So it never really does end. Yeah. And it's not as sad as we, as we make it. Absolutely. All right. So a question for both, if you want to read that one. All right. Uh, I've heard it said that you could study the history of the 20th century by studying Tintin. Uh, not by my grandfather, who thought comics were for dummies. Uh, and certainly there are many aspects of it that are covered. Did he write uh, the book, Comics, Colon- comics for Dummies? <laughs> That's right. Uh, colonialism, uh, Bolshevism, fascism, uh, the Cold War, etc., uh, Dave loves etc. Uh, <laughs> but some are glossed over, such as World War II. How useful do you think the Tintin books are as a window for this period in time? Ooh, that's an interesting question. That is an interesting question, and I think yes and no. Yes, Hergé did use uh, the the present as a springboard to what he his present to what he was writing about. Right. So there is a, a re, there is a reality, and I think he had that magical ability that you know we've done a show about the Beatles. We saw in the Beatles this, a magical ability to syn- syncretize, to take all these different things that are happening around them and kind of you know, sort of careful, you know, carefully put them into their own work and send it out there as, as something original, mm-hmm. you know, so they could take other bands, Psychedelia, and incorporate it into their music and then send it out there as their own idea. Right. Because they so efficiently 
took it into their own selves and it kind of came out in this totally new well, way. Well, in both, in both England and, and North America, the Beatles absorbed the culture yeah. and then yeah, put it out there. But then the culture was, was forever changed by the Beatles. Sure. And then that came back and yeah. then forever, you know, it just was an interesting so, cycle. So, so Airdrie is similar and someone who was, you know, he wasn't a, like a brilliant man, but he was a very intuitive person and he was able to take news articles that he read and the general feeling of the times and he was able to kind of mesh them into these stories that were very prescient of things that were coming mm -hmm. like fascism you know and the, you know the kind of thing you know just what was happening in that moment he was writing about very you know with a great with the real with the real sense of of the now yeah at the same time he also was very uh staunch conservative and so a lot of things that were also happening were were censored by him you know, of course, World War II was censored by him. He was writing for uh, a newspaper controlled by the Nazis. So he really couldn't comment in any accurate way at what was actually happening. And so he just chose to ignore it. And I don't blame him. I mean, it just, forget it, the, you know, we just don't, you don't want censorship all the time. You don't want someone constantly blacking out what you've written and crossing pictures out and stuff like that. So you just, you know, go to what's safest. And I don't blame him for that. So of course, World War II, since he was in the midst of it, you know, in the very middle of it, you know, living in an occup Nazi-occupied country, that's going to kind of get the In a the way short we shift. could never understand. In a, I mean, yeah. we, we look back on it and go like, come on, it was just six years. Why couldn't you? You didn't yeah. know it was yeah. six years. Yeah, exactly. You know, this, this was is a thousand-year Reich This was going to be forever, yeah. right? Yeah. So this was your world. How are you going to adjust to living in this world? And, mm -hmm. you know, for all that you can go like, you can say whatever you want, and you will say wherever you want because you're the internet, so go for it. <laughs> uh, but you can never really understand what that was like. The perspective and what it was like, you won't understand it. So make your judgments, and that's fair that you can. Uh, whatever judgments you make are fair, but uh, just realize you probably don't have the perspective to know what that would have been like yeah. at the time. But uh, so I think, yeah, in a way, you can you can learn a little bit about the our history, but not everything, you know, because he censored himself. You know, so uh, black people are taken out of the Tintin in America, so you have no sense of their existence in America. Right. Like Erge says, you can't have good or bad black people. You can have no black people. That's what the American publishers want. They just want no no black people. Right. So it's not, yeah, it's to, not that they're to, censoring to and saying... Reiterate, to reiterate yeah. something we mentioned on an earlier podcast, you might think, oh, there were racial stereotypes of, uh, of black folks, and so that's why they were taken out, and it's no, that's not why. It was because people were racist and didn't want black folks at all in there depicted yeah. in any way shape or form yeah. so it was the racist that took out the racial depictions of black people yeah so hey <laughs> what side are you on on that you yeah know, pick I mean, a side sure pick a wonderful wonderful side i can yeah. i can totally understand objecting to you know that very offensive draw you know very offensive style of drawing sure. blacks with big big white lips and all the rest of it mm -hmm. it was a common way of drawing them at the time it's right. unfortunate erge did it Almost everyone else did. Yeah, it. nothing, and right, and and something being common doesn't mean it was right. It doesn't make it right. No, no I'm right. not saying it's right. I'm just saying that it was just the style of the time. So it's hard to get. I can understand why you're offended by it. It's just it's easy to understand why he did it. It was a shorthand way. He also did caricatures of how white people look and right. how and how women look and how you know Banca Castafiore, how an opera singer looks. That's a that's a caricature, you know. It's not accurate. Mount Mira Callis didn't look that way. That's right. You know, Beverly Sills didn't look that way. Well, she kind of did, actually. Yeah, according to that Muppet show I watched, I think. <laughs> but you know, it just you know, it was just a, it was a stereotype of that type of person. Captain Haddock is a stereotype yeah. of a sailor, 
uh, Rastapopoulos. Use archetypes, use stereotypes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the uh, absent-minded scientists are absolutely mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. That is uh, that is how they were and how they were. And it's not even sometimes, you know, again, the word offense gets thrown around a lot, you know, uh, nowadays. But I think, like, it's uh, it's something that really dates a work in a way that, that few other things do. When you see that kind of uh, an ethnic caricature, it makes you go, oh, that was that time. I got it. You know, and yeah. even if you're not like offended, offended, because that's, again, I don't think that's the proper word at, at times. You just go, oh, well, that was then, and that takes you out of the story, and, and there you are. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think they did also, sorry, when you're talking about like, you know, the, the times, they did predict the uh, moon landing pretty good. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a case of his ability to syncretize all this information, you know, because it was, I mean, that's what um, Von Braun was saying was we have the technology. We can build him. You know, we can do this thing. We can create a $6 million rocket ship. No, I'm getting really carried away here. Uh, we can. And have it fight the abominable <laughs> snowman. Yes. <laughs> Tie ins. Uh, but even things like goofy stuff like. Are you know the kind of pop science of the of the '60s with UFOs and yeah. and Yeti and psych you know uh, psychic abilities and all that kind of nonsense that was very popular in the, at that time. Uh, you know he also talks about that as well. So there is lots of different yeah. ele- elements of the our only, culture. The only two things I think like in these in the stories that I go like definitely say this was a different time yeah. are the moon landing because of course if you're reading it now you're going what you know the moon landing was and the other one is the uh, talking about color television. It's like oh boy the, and uh, the which one's that? Calculus uh, creating color television. It does kind and, of mention it. They do mention that there is color television. Yeah. But that there's even a discussion of like that there's color television. Let me show you i've made color television yeah uh shows you that it's like well this was a different era and then of course, i guess and then of course the hippie at the airport uh yeah. who's in the band but you know i don't object to that i mean if you're saying you want a, a sense of the 20th century then yes you want a hippie that is the understood yeah just the other things yes in the story, you want to... I, I think something like the black island is evergreen there's very few th- you know you just pick that up anytime and you probably pick it up in 20 years read it and there's nothing in there that makes you go yeah. aside from he's reading a newspaper it's, uh, it's ever it's evergreen because it's been redone three times mm, that's true <laughs> all right uh so uh you wanted to throw a little uh thank you uh to yeah because dylan uh i just want to thank him so much for going to the trouble of scanning and then sending me pages from michael farr's uh book tintin the complete companion it was lots of you know, I think I was getting a lot of the information that he was already giving. Some of it I was figuring out on my own through Wikipedia, which is a wonderful way to kind of go down a rabbit hole of investigation. But uh, it was handy to have it there in front of me. So I really appreciate that, Dylan. And also, Thanks, he, Dylan. he sent us a, he emailed us a picture of him reading uh, Tintin to his son, and that was also nice. Aw, nice. These sort of things that keep you going. Great. Uh, Christoph Spey, Spy. Spy. Christoph Spy. Spy, yeah. Spy very nice. Great name. Holy cow, that's a great name. Yeah. I wish that was my name. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to hear you guys talk about the difference between the original black and white versions and the redrawn and recolored later versions of the first books. When I read the colored ones when I was little, I always felt there was something off about the stories, particularly Congo and America. The tone of the story didn't match the tone of the art. And when I read the original version years later, they finally made sense to me, and I enjoyed those much more. The Tintin from those black and white stories looks a lot tougher, which uh, fits his personality from those stories much more than the sweet and innocent-looking version from the redrawn books. I'm curious to hear what your take on this is. 
I don't think he ever was like completely sweet and innocent. You know, he was still always like a a guy who'd like get into a fight. Yeah. He was a scrappy, a scrappy. There's sword. a little vinegar there. But yeah, yeah he was a much uh, tougher fella. I mean, he gets blown up in a train in the first one, and he just shakes it off, walks yeah. away. Well, I think the the more knockabout style of the early stories, whether it's Congo with the some of the crazy gags that, in a way, they are more offensive. When you're seeing the kind of more the more the later version of of Tintin, rather than the sort of Bigfoot style Tintin, yeah, that's true. Everything uh, is like exaggerated. Yeah, so you're okay. You're I mean, not that you're okay with like a gajillion but you're like, getting that's killed. What it is, yeah. yeah, you're kind of like okay, that's sort of a gag of that time period. I, I get it, you know. And yeah, that sort of broad comedy works a little bit better when the characters are drawn more broadly. And with the with the panel, the way the panels are laid out in in the in the black and white ones where you have six panels to a page, it really is faster to read it. So you kind of speed through it a lot more. Whereas with the, the color ones, you're kind of, you're kind of hang up on the page. So you're, you're taking your time reading through all these very little panels. And so you, you get, you don't get the sense of the breakneck pace of page, turn page, turn page, turn page of, of Tintin in America or Tintin in the Congo, which gives you a different sense of the action and the gags, you know. So it seems it's much more offensive to spend a long time looking at a monkey's, someone wearing a monkey's pelt after they've killed the monkey. Uh, whereas in a book where you're just skipping past that stuff really fast, it kind of zooms by and it doesn't really hang in your in your mind the way it does when you're looking staring at it for a long time, where you're looking at two pages on one page, you know. Um, so yeah, it does read a bit differently. Uh, yeah, so there you go. That's my answer. Okay, is that? All right. Uh, question number two. Uh, you know what I'd be curious to know as well? Uh, are there any elements in the books that you feel are typically Belgian slash European to you guys? Uh, I see a lot of American influences, uh, mainly movie and TV influences. Uh, maybe nothing specific, but in general style and tone. Uh, but I'm sure for you guys there are a lot more exotic European elements in the stories as well. I'd say one of the most basic things is uh, they sit and they have a breakfast, and the, and the button later the butler brings right. them the breakfast. But they sit and read the paper and have you know the coffee and the that's toast. a totally different element. I I was listening to um, Mike Dawson's TCJ talkies today, and they. I was That's the Comics Journal talk. Comics Journal talk uh, podcast, and he was talking to Sammy Harkham, the the artist of crickets, uh, the the one man anthology crickets, about Maurice Tuyu's book, which I'll give the English title, which is Murder at High Tide. It's a Fanographics published one of the Jules Jordan books, uh, translated by the late Kim Thompson. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about it. And one interesting thing that Harkham said about that book as well is that characters will stop and eat. And we'll have a discussion while they're, you yeah. know, they're not discussing something while they're racing in a car or running down the street. They'll sit down and have a have a conversation, yeah, which is very different than how, how American comics work. Very different, believe me. You don't see Scrooge McDuck and Donald Duck having a tête-à-tête no. at a at a cafe. They never have a vacation. They're never they're never out in yeah. the South Seas relaxing. That's right. Yeah, no. or intending to relax and then getting into adventure. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, the yeah the European mindset of it's important to eat, it's important <laughs> to sleep, <laughs> it's important to get a break. Yeah, uh, let's relax. And yeah. I think there's a uh, you know if you're a North American youth uh, reading this, you're like uh, Tintin. Why? Where's his parents? Where's this? Where's that? And I think like you know if, if I never thought of that when I read, but them. if you're starting as like a my it's about my grandfather's age you know uh there's a lot of people who are if you're a teenager yeah well you got a job yeah yeah you're out working you got your own apartment that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah i I don't know what happened to your parents but something did you know you're you're not the same type of youth that we are now yeah you know uh, being a youth back then you you had a job yeah you might have two jobs sure you know in those days 16 was the new 50 (laughs) sure 
Yeah. No, it's, yeah, I know. I agree with you. It's, you're right. I mean, and that's something that we don't have here in North America where we're very babied here. And I think people should, if we're honest, we would say that. Well, we didn't go through World War II the way that that's right. Europeans went through World War II. Yeah. We I mean, didn't we, go through World War One the way we Europeans did not go through World, That's right. We did not have mass cataclysm and, and destruction. You know, we had, a, we had to give away our tea kettles. You know, mm. in in metal drives, or we had to ration. Someone had to you know, grow a victory garden. We went for two years without getting bananas, guys. Listen, we suffered from the. You know, so it's a lot different. I mean, of course, there were personal losses. People, you know, loved ones were murdered, not murdered, but killed in war. Absolutely. And, yeah. You know, that's a loss. But in terms of like massive destruction on a scale, where I mean, my wife, when she in in the seventies, when she was visiting England, could still see. Areas where bombs had fallen absolutely. and it was still not repaired. You, you know? still can. Yeah. There's still parts oh, is that there. Right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. So it's just you and know, there's plaques everywhere letting you know mm, what happened and why sure. why this is sure. still the way it is. Yeah. No, the history it still wears its history on its sleeve. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Things are. We in North America carry an ironic distance to things in a way they don't there, and, yeah. it, and it feels like. Yeah, it, it it feels everything is more serious. It does not yeah. feel like America. We don't have, but it's not a tight upper lip ir- irony, or, or you know what I mean. Like mm. in England, you'll have a different sense of distance from that kind of suffering. You know, I remember uh, Mark Maron coming back from England and, and talking about how they eat there and saying those are people who know they're going to die. We don't have that in North America. We actually think that we're never going to die if we can do something special. Mm-hmm. We can escape this inevitability. Uh, there, they eat sausages for breakfast. You know. And so it's a different. Uh, it's yeah, well, a different you can feeling. go to you can go to uh, a cemetery and see you know five generations of your ancestors, mm-hmm. which you can't do in Amer- in America. Yeah. You, you're like, uh, what matters now? Me, I'm the only thing that matters. <laughs> and in in Europe, history. Listen, yeah. you're just you're this chain, yeah. and there's another link after you, and there's many links before yeah. you. You're on this continuum. This is yeah. what you are. So just eh, relax, and you better enjoy yourself now because there you are. On the on the other hand, as someone who's been to England a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and I have traveled to to Europe a couple times, uh, there are parts of it that seem familiar to me. So when I'm reading Tintin, mostly to England, and that's probably why the Black Island resonates for me so much. But uh, there are elements of Europe that's all through Europe, not just you know that I know Britain's separate in a way because there's a body of water between yes. it and the rest of Europe. But there are European elements to the British as well. And so when you read the stories, there are things that don't seem totally crazy to you. That you're just like, what? Tintin's walking somewhere. What? Why doesn't he just drive everywhere? Yeah. You know Europe. Not everyone drives. So. Well, Europe, I mean, my wife and I, my wife's also, uh, she's a, a comic book artist, and we get invited yeah. occasionally to tour Europe, uh, Germany, uh, Spain, uh, Paris. And when we're when we're there, uh, it is such a different mindset. You go to mm-hmm. a, a comic convention in Europe, and the focus is, it feels like, I mean, obviously someone wants to make money. That's, I mean, that's the world. But but the focus is on the art and the history. Yeah. And they want to show you this stuff. And, they, and it's all on display, and you, you really do get get a sense of oh wow you know uh that you're part of a bigger thing than you are whereas i feel a north american con is what's happening right now what's the movie coming out in three months we're going to tell you about the movie that's coming out in six months yeah and that's it jack you know we might show no, you some true. we might show you some art but the art's only there to be sold and an investment and yes it's from the 30s but look at it from a distance don't worry mm-hmm. about it whereas in europe it's all going to be on display in a museum they're going to show you it they're going to show you the context to it uh you know uh what who influenced what 
and it just feels so and everyone slows down mm-hmm. and now it's time to go and have a glass of wine yeah and they really want to show off their the, the food they've got whereas north american i don't know uh get a mrs fields cookie because we got to get to this next thing and come on let's get the hustle and get in that uncomfortable lineup <laughs> line it up man we got some velvet ropes for you come on i don't care if you're hot uh, or europe yeah they wouldn't stand for that they go on they go on strike so before they stand with find that find out what marvel's rope. doing next year yeah exactly it's yeah. so different the mindset yeah you know so again and and i didn't know about this before i started reading these comics yeah you know uh so when i've been reading these comics it makes me understand a little bit what i saw in europe more okay. it all it all it all makes sense more pieces of the puzzles fall, yeah, into, yeah. fall into place interesting so uh, after that, we have. Uh, oh, sorry. Was there... yeah. You can see lots of. I just want to say Please. you can see lots of American influences in in Hergé's mm-hmm. work through movies and British influence as well. British films and American films, the American silent films particularly, were a big influence on him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think for us here, the European uh, European influences certainly you know come to you spring out. You know. And I don't want to come across as anti North American either. I like a lot of North American I, stuff. I'm willing to live here. Yeah, that's how much I, I'll put up with it. But I would rather eat there. <laughs> and I just uh, want to say, I just want to say before we move on, I just want to thank Christoph uh, for once. For one thing, is that he uh, gave me some great information about the Airj Studios and the workings, inner workings there. I really appreciate that. And also, he was my kind of. Uh, he lives in Belgium, so he's my eye on eye in the sky there. So ah. uh, he let me know that Brol, which is on the back of several of the Paris Flash that Tintin, it's the uh, laundry headache. soap. It's a laundry soap. That's right. Brol means crap in uh, <laughs> in bourgeois, the the dialect that uh, Hergé liked to make words out of. Just like doc- he also told me that Doctor Krollspell, who appears in Flight Seven Fourteen, the guy giving the truth serum. Yeah. Uh, the Krollspell is hair curlers in uh, bourgeois dialect. Bourgeois, bourgeois. I, w- I would really like to see. So hard to say. Well, let me say thank you as well. Uh, I would like to see a list of all the pun names. Like all of them, just in a row, and to mm-hmm. see what they really mean, and what's the what's that would the, be fun, and and in what context they're used. So yes, thank you very much for that. Uh, our I think it's our final question. Am I am I right about this? Yes. Okay, and this is a uh, Lisa. You might try to pronounce this <laughs> name. What is the name? This is my wife, ah. Lisa Williamson, has written to say. I would like to hear about that study on Tintin and concussions. Now, is there only one study on Tintin and concussions, or is there more? What is your study, sir? The study that I found was one that was done by a Canadian doctor and his two kids. Yep. Ah, we're both on board with this one. Good. And the title of this study is Acquired Growth Hormone Deficiency in Hypogonotropic Hypogonadism in a Subject with Repeated Head Trauma, or Tintin Goes to the Neurologist. Very good. So the idea of this study was that they went through and they added up all the injuries to to Tintin, and so they in went through twenty three books. Yeah, they went through the twenty three books. He and his two two children, one one is five and one is seven, and they went through. So no child labor laws in Quebec. <laughs> apparently not. Apparently, you can just get your five year old to do your work for you there. That's Quebec for you, and I can say that I'm from Quebec. But all it's right. interesting. I just okay. Here's the here's the table of injuries. Okay, hit are, me. Are you ready? In the Black Island, uh, uh, bullet injury, blow from a club. So what they did is they would give uh, points or day length, so a length through these injuries. So for instance, uh, a bullet injury is four, but the blow from the club is is a, a three, and the chloroform poisoning is forty-eight. The hit by a rake is five. Hit by a brick is seven. And I'm not going to give all of them, but in the Blue Lotus, he has chloroform poisoning, mm-hmm. uh, hitting a tree trunk. Bullet injury, 
the calculus affair, there's an explosion, blows from a club. And I would also include uh, explosion. I mean, there must be included, including this explosion in the tank, which I would give a great deal to because that mm. must have caused concussion. They don't they only give it a zero. Crab with the golden claws, blow from a club, hit by a, ho a whiskey bottle, hit by a camel femur, dehydration, destination moon, bullet injury. Uh, they give 60 to that one. Explorers on the moon, uh, G-force, blows from a club, hypo hypoemia, and sorry, I'm going to take off my glasses because they're actually bad for reading close. Oh, Mr. Dedrick, you're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hypo, oh, sorry, hyposemia. There's two different cases of hyposemia. King Autocar Scepter, car accident, hit by a camera, land of black gold, hit by a brick, falls down the stairs, explosion, dehydration, blow from a stick, punch, land of the Soviets, train accident, hit by a tree trunk, explosion, blow from a club, red sea sharks, explosion, the secret of the unicorn, chloroform poisoning, hit, hitting a tree trunk, blow from a stick, the shooting star, struck by a giant apple. Tintin and the broken ear, blow from a club. Car accident, struck by an oar. Tintin in America, car accident, blow from a club, blow from a billy club. Gas poisoning, struck by a sword. Tintin in the Congo, struck by snowy. Fight from a lion, blow from a club, hit by a board. Tintin in Tibet, falling on the ice, and an avalanche. So those are all the injuries that occur to Tintin. What Overall, got, what in I've, all those books, yeah. 50 different concussions. That's what I got here, yeah. 50 significant losses of consciousness yeah. during his many adventures. Uh, and, and really, one's not great. <laughs> Two is very bad. Yeah. Three, oh, you watch out, buddy. Well, we're Four. Seeing, yeah. We're seeing from sports studies now how much damage it can do. In fact, uh, one of my wife's students, uh, her writing students, in uh, early spring, she was running uh, at a camp, at a kid's camp, uh, she was a like a helper there. Yeah, she was running and she fell and struck her head. She has not been able to ride a horse since because of concussion. Oh, okay. So she's one blow to the head. She is still out. You know, four months later from from riding. Yeah. So it's not. It's a. Uh, this to me. Let me just say, just in general, like a as, again, I'm going to go to my superhero background here. <laughs> Occasionally, someone will draw a picture of Batman and they'll show his naked back. Yeah. And then you'll see all the bullet holes and scars he's got on there and he basically looks like fearless Fosdick. Yeah. You know, it's just ridiculous. To the point where you got to go, well this all didn't happen because if it did, he would just be dead. So realistically a cartoon character can't suffer this kind of thing. I would say that yeah. that uh Charlie Brown has suffered more injuries to the head, uh, having uh, baseballs knock him uh, oh, his clothes head off over, as well, head yeah. over tea kettle, yeah. uh, you know, than uh, Tintin has. But uh, let's go. Let's get into what they feel the results would be for this, yeah. and then I'll get into a theory of mine about Tintin and okay. why this is okay. Okay. So we conducted an exhaustive exhaustive assessment of this young reporter's stories in order to find incidents. Sorry, journalist. Journalist. <laughs> significant neurotrauma. <laughs> uh, we don't, the movie is movie canon. The first author, uh, five years old, looked through all the books along with, his, <laughs> along with the second author, seven years old, who knows how to read and count higher than ten. Right. We wiped the chocolate off the books and then said. <laughs> so uh, the, the five-year-old was responsible for identifying pictures in which Tintin Tumbe dans les palmes literally fell into the apples, i.e. lost consciousness. This procedure had to be reevaluated after two books because of the obvious lack of apples in Tintin's adventures. For each incident, <laughs> we identified the cause of the trauma, the length of the loss of consciousness, calculated by the number of frames before Tintin reforms to, uh, returns to normal activity, and the apparent severity of the trauma, indicated by the number of objects, i.e., e.g., stars, candles revolving about Tintin's head. Okay. So that's what they did. So 
um, what they what they discovered was that the mean length of loss of consciousness was 7.5 frames, and 7.5 objects on average revolved about his head during impact. There was no statistically significant relation between these two elements of data. At no point in the books did the subject shave, grow taller, or exhibit signs of puberty, pubertal development. Unfortunately, no brain imaging was performed. Also, the subject experienced loss of consciousness after mild dehydration, which could be an indirect sign of secondary adrenal insufficiency. Okay. This could be due to pan-hypopituitarism. We hypothesize, this is a conclusion, that Tintin has growth hormone deficiency in hypogonadotropic hypogonadism from repeated trauma. This could explain his delayed statural growth, delayed onset of puberty, and lack of libido. We also believe that involving children in research is possible and beneficial. As a result, AC learned to count to 10 with good inter-observer reliability and now knows the meaning of the expression to be dans la pomme. <laughs> the main limitation of our article is the lack of paraclinical confirmation of diagnosis. But according to the second author, quote, that's all right. To conclude, it is difficult to determine accurately Tintin's age and level of physical and sexual development. He has the physique of a child, but his context suggests that of an adult. Throughout his adventures, he has no girlfriend or marriage plans to curtail his activities. His quote-unquote neutrality allows both children and adults around the world to identify with his hero, which probably explains his universal appeal after 75 years of public life. Okay. Uh, I think the problem with like saying he's got a lack of libido, mm -hmm. it's like saying, I think this person doesn't like hamburgers when there's been no hamburgers in the entire run of the book. <laughs> okay. You don't know. Maybe a hamburger shows up and uh, he's all, I love me some hamburgers. According to some of the stories I was reading last night, he does have some interest in Bianca Castafiore. Oh, that was a little bit of fan fiction, so I'm going to say no. Now, here's a, here's a question that you yeah. have to throw into the mix, though, here yeah. as well. Is you know, Obviously, you get 50 concussions. Um, but uh, sorry to anyone who has 50 concussions. I don't mean that you've gone all blah, 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 blah. But how, how much time passes from Land of the Soviets uh, until uh, Tintin and uh, the Picaros? Like how much time? Like there's, there's definitely, and, and you might actually be able to like mark the minimum amount of time because there's a lot of a week later, two weeks later, you know, this amount of time later. Okay. And just like, and, and this oh, amount you don't, of So, because most people, when these people are talking in, in these studies, they're t talking the actual year. So around 45 years. What's that? Of time has passed between the beginning, well, no, sorry, 46 years. Okay, between but the beginning in, the, in the Tintin world. Because yeah, yeah, if you're no. saying like he's not going through puberty, well, it depends how old was he when the first book started and how old is he at the last book. And there is a certain amount of time that is mandatory because we have a week later, yeah, yeah. you know, three weeks later, da 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 mm -hmm. Like I can see when you, when you go like, uh, he's not uh, growing a beard. Well, he's a redhead. I know redheads right now that are in their like thirties that really can't grow a beard. Yeah, frankly, I so, can't grow a beard. Yeah, he's light. May, might might be light in the face. Who the heck knows? Mm -hmm. Or maybe just snowy chews it off at night. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know okay. what happens there. Uh, my, here's what is your theory on this? Do you do 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 you buy into anything here? Or is it just silly fun? I to me it's silly fun. Here's my theory. Okay. Tintin is a comic book character. Yep. In a comic book. Yep. And has a lot of adventures. Yeah. And then the stories end when the author dies. Okay, there we go. It's a theory. Uh, I know it's no, crazy. It's a theory. It's a crazy theory. Yeah, we get into I might... we get into a little bit of James Bondiness here too, uh, where you know, do all the James Bond adventures happen? And if they all happen, then that guy must be bullet ridden as well. And the <laughs> second he takes his shirt off and drinks a glass of water, he's a fountain from a Benny Hill sketch. Yeah, yeah. Here is my nerdy fan fiction theory. Okay. Name me the two things that Tintin hates more than anything else. 
We've gone over money. one money. Can't stand people giving him money. Hates yeah, it. Hates We're going to dispose of that. Like he okay. doesn't need money. Yeah. All right. Uh, but what's the other thing that Tintin will always go? None of this for me. I'm out of here uh, immediately. Oh, I was going to say bullying, but uh, what, what, what's your answer? What I'm going to say is a doctor saying you've oh, got yeah. to stay yeah. a couple of days. Yeah. Ha <laughs> ha, we'll see about that, Doc. So sure. long, chump. Yeah. He'll listen to any other authority figure. For the okay. most part, he was very respectful. Mm-hmm. But the second a doctor says, this guy needs some serious treatment, yeah. you've got to wait here a week. Bye. Next day, he's got his coat on and he's off. But he's not, he's not doing it willy-nilly. He's he's in the middle of an investigation. Uh-huh. You know, So he can't let go of that. Right. He's like a dog with a bone. Sure. He's like a dog with a camel Fair femur. Enough. Here's my theory. Okay. We... We're not assuming that the Tintin and the Land of the Soviets is the first time that Tintin has gone out and had an adventure, right? Like, clearly, by the time we're in Congo, which is the second story, his adventures are so popular that they know about him in the Congo, and he's a celebrity. Yeah. Meaning, they don't just know him from this Soviet story. Yeah. He's had other stories. Well, they know him from the newspaper. They know him from the newspaper. But yeah. he's 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 an amazing adventurer. They're yeah. like, oh, that's that Tintin. Mm-hmm. He does all these things. So he must have done something before the Soviets. Uh, it- in, it's the, not in the story, go- they own, they just know him from Vantian Siakla in the in the Tintin Fair story. Fair enough. Okay, yeah. but Vantian Siakla then the, he's been in something before the Soviet one. I'm pretty sure because even in the Soviet one, he's isn't he famous reporter Tintin or is he just a reporter? I think Tintin? he's just the reporter. Yeah. So by the time we get to the Congo, everyone in the Congo is just going, "Hey, it's that guy from who went to the Soviet." Yeah. That's all. Because they read about it in the newspaper. Uh-huh. Here's my theory. That there were other <laughs> stories before this. This, okay. is, this is far from Tintin's first adventure. I'm going to sit back. And now we I, live... I'm going to sit back so you won't hear me. We live in a land mm-hmm. where there are aliens, or at least flying saucers. Okay. There's magic. Magic exists. It's real. Mm-hmm. Premonitions. The supernatural. The supernatural exists. Mm-hmm. All this stuff exists. Yeah. So there was a previous adventure that Tintin was on, and he drank from the Fountain of Youth or something along those lines. And what it does is it and Snowy did as well. He took a little lip lap. Okay. And he or perhaps if you don't want to go the mystic route, there's nothing but crazy scientists out there who are inventing magic pills that will make you grow a beard super long and uh, will make you not able to drink booze and will do all these other things. There's tons of them. I can name five of them immediately. So he must have met one of those beforehand. Any, something happened. He took something, drank something, whatever. Okay, just name them. What's that? Name them. Uh, Beardo. Uh, Crazy Pants. <laughs> Johnny Defo. Uh, other guy. Okay, don't worry about it. Big man. Okay. Okay, so all those guys. So something happened before we met him. He got something. He drank something. Snowy had something. And they heal quite fast. And because people have mentioned that in the stories, how fast Tintin heals. Clearly, you know, he gets up the next day from a hospital and he goes out for a run and he's fine. If the doctors examined him that second day, they'd find out about this healing ability, keep him as a test subject, he'd never get out. So he needs to leave the hospital immediately before someone finds out that he's basically Wolverine. So that's the that's my theory on Tintin. He can't stay at the hospital. If he stayed at the hospital, they'd find out why he can survive 50 concussions and be still Sherlock Holmes smart. And why his dog, we haven't mentioned how many concussions Snowy's had, but Snowy's been knocked out at least half as many times as Tintin has. He's fine. Yeah. Both of them are. Huh. That's a theory. Yep. I just prefer the their com- their comic characters and, you know, without that. I mean, but then nothing do we matters. Have to, do we have to have then an elaborate... vulnerable and nothing matters, right? Do we have to have an elaborate reason why Indiana Jones could survive a submarine riot across through the Mediterranean? I don't think we've ever gotten the reason for that. No, but you don't need it. I it's think a, people have it's needed a, it. No, it's an adventure movie. You could just... Whatever. 
Mm-hmm. It happened. That's fine. I think a lot move, of people disagree. Move along. Okay. Move along. Because, I mean, the next sequence is even more outrageous. You know, that there's weird angel, you know, sort of weird angel killing angels that live in a box. I think if your whole gimmick is uh, that, uh, you know, uh, Indiana Jones is so fantastic because he finds a way out of impossible situations. Yeah. And you see how he finds his way out of impossible situations. Yeah. Then you get an impossible situation and just go, no, he's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, then it's like, mm, I think this is bra- – you don't never, see James Bond. It never Bond. descended. You don't see James Bond, you know, uh, you know, he's tied up to the laser and then uh, – and it's coming up and he's going to cut him in half. Yeah. And the next scene, he just walks into the room and just goes, hey, how's it going? Oh, what happened? Never mind. No, Moving on. You got to not- see him – do the thing and do the thing. You were wrong. Because in Thunderball, there is no explanation mm-hmm. of how he walks out of the water, right. up a single flight of steps, and his bathing suit is completely dry at the top. Oh. There is no explanation for that. Of course there is. It's his dry wit. Baloney. Dry wit. Baloney. Uh, anyway, I think... Uh, I mean, I think if you... You decide, If listener. you need... Well, okay. If you're the sort of person that needs to have... <laughs> oh, it's need. Okay, if, go ahead. Well, if you need to have an explanation of... You know, to explain... Or it's fun. 50, yeah, or is it, or do you think it's fun? Sure. Mm, okay. This is what everyone does. You sit around with your... Fa- uh, talk about your favorite movies. Yeah. You come up with theories, and then you talk about the theories, and you have a good time, and it's a good time had by all. We sure. all have a good time. If you need hey, to do that, Hey, what do you that, think the fine. deal is... Oh, need to. <laughs> There's no need to have fun, but if you find it no, no, fun... If, yeah, if you find... Okay, if you find it fun to It feels examine, like you're there with your pipe, and yeah. you're going to say, if you guys all need to if have fun outside, running around, you enjoy yeah. that. Uh, Papa's going to listen to his classical <laughs> music now. But you just play your game I'm gonna, of tag. You go, <laughs> go and play in the street, as my dad would say. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm fine with what they are. You know, I don't that's need. That's great. I don't need that other level of them finding the the fountain of youth mm-hmm. aspect of it. It's fine. To other, me, it starts with Land of the Soviets yeah. and ends with Picaros. Other people would say this. Or I don't see why you need a what is it, a 23 episode podcast to talk about these friggin' books. Yeah. Just read them. I agree. Why do you need a couple of yip yappers <laughs> talking for like what three hours a week about well, this book? That's fine. Oh, just leave it alone, man. Just read the thing. <laughs> why do you need to know what Hergé was doing and what hat he was wearing and did he what he put in his tea? Who cares? Just read it. So. For some people, this kind of thing's fun. Yeah. For some people, that kind of thing's fun. Sure. And however you have fun, that's fine. Keep having fun. Because That's what you I know said. What? I said it's fine. Mm, you said it in that way. Oh, though, okay. I'm sorry. That if you need, if you are, if you're yeah. the type of person, that if you're the type of person, yeah, if you're the kind of person to wear that likes those to do kind that, of pants, then I say okay. Yeah. If you're the kind of person that likes to do that, that's fine. I mean, that's fine. All I'm, I'm saying not. is, if you're the type of person who I'm does not. that, you're the kind of person who does that. I'm not. I'm the kind of person that doesn't enjoy that. I anyway, like, I like, I like the text. Absolutely. So that's anyway. where I, that's as far as I now. Let to me go. just call my high horse. Come here. <laughs> let me get on there. Get my ladder up. Whatever. And I'll be seeing you guys later. I'll just be up on top mm-hmm. here. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. All right. I hope sure you enjoy the book forever. You like it down uh-huh. there. Yeah. Uh huh. Must we fight on our last episode? <laughs> I mean, you're the one who's getting all defensive. It's weird. <laughs> oh, I'm defensive, am I? Yeah. That's the way it, it is. feels like it. Sure. <laughs> feels like you're on your defensive horse. Ah, I understand. I'll go to my high horse. Yeah. You get on your defensive sure, horse. Sure. We'll jump over that defense. <laughs> I just want to say a few thank yous. Please do. Before we go. So just, I want to thank Annabelle Brown, who was, uh, she sent me, a, or us actually, a PDF, a PDF of Tintin and Alfart, uh, saying that this was a way she could get into the story. And I think she sent it before she'd listened to the whole show. So I think she realized after she sent it, oh, they did talk about it because we did the context at the end. Oh, cool. Sorry to confuse you, Annabelle. But I really appreciated your enthusiasm and uh, also your comments throughout the, the show. Oh, thanks. I want to thank Andrew mary and kitty for their itunes reviews totally appreciate that and 
we kind of thanked everyone at the beginning, but let's thank it one more time. Thanks to everyone who wrote in and commented on our message board. We loved hearing from you all, and it totally made the show worth doing. And more this... than hearing about the Fountain of Youth for me. <laughs> but if you need that kind of thing, la di da, boo boo boo. But this, uh, as much as we're saying this uh, is is wrapping up for us right now. It's it is, but it isn't. I mean, we're going to keep the message board going on our. If you're the page. kind of person that needs to write the message boards. <laughs> If you're the kind of person that needs to write an iTunes review, please do. We really appreciate that. Uh, if you're the if you're the kind of person, yeah. If you're the kind of person who likes us, and then we like you too. That's so right. thank you. It's a nice friendship thing. That's the kind of people. Uh, yeah. But on SneakyDragon.com, we will keep the message boards going. Yeah. If there's anything that uh, comes to mind that you want to talk about, we will be perusing uh, the message boards. And if there's something you know you want to add to it, uh, please do. And we'll add probably stuff as we go along and yep. on our adventures and on our way. And if you want to listen to us do another podcast, well, here's what you can do. Uh, there's one called Sneaky Dragon. That's the reason we call our website that. It's not, a, you know, the only thing we could find. That's true. Uh, I need a .com. That's right. If you're the type of person who I'm doesn't kind of mind person. a random .com, <laughs> Sneaky Dragon's available. Uh, so uh, we talk about basically anything in our lives. Uh, it's a comedy podcast, but we also tell the truth about things that are going on uh, in our lives. Some people like that sort of thing. If you're the kind of person who's like that, we're not going to judge you. Uh, please don't write uh, slash fiction about us. <laughs> don't do that. But just enjoy enjoy the show. Yes. And uh, we'll be coming back in the future with another uh, themed podcast. We haven't quite decided which way we're going to go with that. There's a couple of ideas we have, but uh, we enjoy doing Completely Beatles. We enjoy doing Totally Tintin. But Dave gets exhausted. So we need to let him recharge so he doesn't pull a Hergé and go walking away for seven years. Because <laughs> that guy works really hard. And I'm going to throw my thank you to Dave for all the insane hard work he's put in. Like, you wouldn't even believe the pages he comes in with. Oh, my gosh. Uh, on uh, on uh, Thursdays when we record this, it's amazing. So uh, the the heart and soul of this has been Dave. So thank Dave. There you go. Boom. I I disagree. I'm the kind of person that likes to uh, throw back the the compliments, and I just I want to say thank you for coming on this journey because it's fun when you are willing to step outside your comfort zone and mm-hmm. and take on these things. When you took on completely Beatles, that was great, and and doing this as well. I know that, uh, and I really appreciate your point of view. And the fact that I'm doing the research, that's that's fine. I already know about it. So, you know, if you do the research, it's kind of a spoiler. So I, I think it's more fun that I'm coming with some information and you're coming with your kind of off-the-cuff observations. I really enjoy your your perspective on these, Groovy. even when I have to listen to about the Fountain of Youth. <laughs> please, someone, don't write slash fic, but please do write some fan fiction about this Fountain of Youth. I'd really appreciate that. All right. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I think that's bringing us, uh, bringing us to a close. I'm going to just start turning off the lights here at Hell Kitty Studios and start putting away the Tintin books, put them in the vault. Yes. Uh, and uh, put away the Tintin toys and the stuff snowy and what have you. If there's anything left you want to say while I do that, please do. I think I think that's all I have to say. I want to, well, one last thank you to everyone for listening to the show. We really appreciate uh, you taking this uh, really fun trip with us. And I know that I... I have way more appreciation for these books after going through this. So I'm really glad that I did actually did this actually. So I'm really looking forward to the next one. The next, uh, whatever we call these things, sidecast. Yeah, sidecast is a good way. All right, uh, so we will uh, see you or something along those lines for whatever that next thing will be. One more quick thank you to David's uh, family for uh, sharing Dave with us for this <laughs> and uh, him like spending all his time looking at all this stuff when he could have been like, you know, being a, around you. So thank you for that, for your patience. And uh, with that, thank you for your kind attention. We're done. Goodbye, everyone.
Great snakes!